come to my fucking door. This program contains mature subject matter. Including maladjusted youth, masochistic hillbillies, and the excitement of the price is right. It may be deemed inappropriate for our younger viewers. Viewer discretion advised. I would like, if I may, to take you on a straight journey. This show is behind the shim shim steps. I'm giving you a choice. I can put on these glasses. Let's start using that trash. Yeah, it's a nasty scheme. You maniac! What is a man? What is BTS? When we are successful, we win. We have a real chance to win. Our faces is wearing thin. Lots of times I have to interview people that I don't particularly like to talk to. I got to interview people that I feel I got nothing in common with. But I'll say this, when I talk to you, Jake, I feel a very close association of friendliness between you and I. As cold as a razor blade, as tight as a tourniquet, like the skin on a dying man, Jesse, that's what it's all about. You see, people wonder, why does he do the things he does, you know? Why does he do that? A lot of people want to know, where is he going? To know where I'm going, you must know where I've been. And believe me, you do not have a clue about where I've been. But let me tell you something. It's as simple as this, Jesse. You know and I know it's much better to be the hunter than to be the hunted. And what I am in the WCW for is very simple. I don't want a piece of the world. I want the whole world. People like Dustin Rhodes, people like Ron Simmons, people like Sting. You're all just a bunch of little squirrels playing in my world trying to get a nut. And you cannot get it from me. So what I'm simply saying is this, to control it, you have to be the man. I will be the man in a matter of, of moments. Because I have the ability, I have the means to do it. Now if I go bird hunting, Jesse, not only do I bring a gun... But I bring a bird dog. And every dog has his day, but you gotta use those dogs. So every seed that the WCW plants, I will either pour enough water on it to drown it, or I will pour enough heat on it to burn it. It's that simple. Drowning You, it's episode 148 of Behind the Schemes for April 17th, 2023, and making sure I burn you all the way down. This is Booberry, Black Knight of the Mothman. And all the way from the bereft coast, where we don't know where we're going because we don't know where we've been. My name is Lavish. Jake the Snake is such a champ. That's a, That was like a Shakespearean soliloquy in modern times. It's as close as you're going to get to it, really. It's um, they they don't they don't uh, they don't have that fabric anymore that they cut people out of. No, no, no. 
They was it inspired by that uh, the pack of cards I sent you? <laughs> I heard the WCW in there. In uh, partially, yes, partially, yes. Ah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it was nice to hear a uh, uh, former Minnesota statesman, uh, Jesse. Oh God, what's his last name again? Jesse. Jesse the Body Ventura. Jesse Ventura. Thank you, thank you. I just watched Predator the other night. Uh, Jesse Ventura. Well, how you doing? How was your week? Week was swell. Uh, yeah, just just floating along. Uh, h- how about you? Uh, did you uh, get that set built and all the lights programmed for your show? All my lights are programmed, bitch. Um, yeah. And then uh, we got we opened this week. I actually had a all full right. week. I'm going to be able to see the shit on stage without having my hair on fire the entire time. Always a nice moment. Yeah, it's uh, those sorts of shows. That was straight from hell. For sure. Mm. Straight from hell. Straight <laughs> from hell. But now I am the one bringing the hellfire. Now it's time to celebrate. It is. Yeah. Uh, well, let's uh, let's celebrate with a tarot card, shall we? Indeed, we kick off every episode of BTS with a tarot card. Just in case you, this is your first time listening. Sometimes we get first time listeners. And sometimes people are like, oh, this is the last time I'm listening. Yeah, <laughs> we, we get, get last time listeners. It's true. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes they they flutter back. We're always improving here at BTS. We're always working. Always. Growing, trying to figure out what sorts of new crazy shit can we shove into our RSS feed. Because we hand hack that shit like maniacs. Indeed. We, we are, if you will, knights uh, on a crusade. Oh. Is it real? No, it's just a big fat joke. I think make heroism just decided to kick off the day by ripping someone's head mm-hmm. off yeah. with their bare hands. I just want to know where these bodies keep coming back from. <laughs> I can feel the fucking evil. Lots of bodies out there. Oh, Mary Kate, 15,000, king of the circle jerks. Well, I've been called worse things, so Mwah. thank you. <laughs> Hopefully I don't get called any better. <laughs> yeah. Well, tonight we're the Knights of the Circle Jerks by pulling the Knight of Pentacles. This was, uh, I just, it was an interesting note. If you click on the link to tarox.net, uh, it's weird because you get a different illustration of the card. Which I feel like is more in line with the art that we typically see in the Line Strider deck. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the actual image of the art that we drew for tonight, the Nine of Pentacles, this is sort of a circle silhouette of a knight riding a valiant white horse through you know, what looks to be kind of a woodsy area. There's no like clear defined trees or anything, but there's the suggestion of leaves. <laughs> Bullisty decided to light up the gimp just now. 88, 88 cents. Circle back to the gimp. The gimp loves being circled back on. This is, uh, we have scientific evidence. Yes. Anecdotal and empirical. Uh, now I'm actually, I was wanting to read from the book because I'm just a little weirded out that they've got a different, uh, a piece of art showing on tarox.net. Um, some keywords about this card, patience, long-term plans, responsibility. 
slow progress, financially conservative. The Nine of Pentacles is the oldest and most solid of all of the horsemen. He sits on a big plow horse and looks out on the realm with an experienced and serious demeanor. How very much I've loved you. Hmm. How very much you've loved you, Jim. Uh, this card often appears when you have been asked to take on responsibilities uh, or a course of action that requires you to set aside childish yeah. behaviors or attitudes. The Knight of Pentacles is dependable, uh, stalwart, and trustworthy. He is not a young buck charging in with a sword uh, drawn and armor shining. This card is associated with parenthood, a love of animals, and financial success. And this card indicates that in your current life, impatience, rashness, and impulsiveness will not be rewarded. The archetype represented by this knight is the dependable, strong male protector and provider. He's not very dynamic or charis- uh, or a charismatic character. He's just slow and steady and determined. Yeah, he's like he's like the oldest guy in the squad. He's he's seen it all. He's been there through it thick and thin. There's nothing that phases him any anymore because he's seen it. He's been there. He's lived it. And he's not going to be impatient. He's not going to be reckless. I like the the card that they've posted in Tarot X, the one that isn't in the show notes, but is also apparently the line strider, is him on a turtle or a tortoise. And that's why the the one listed on the article, I feel, is more appropriate to the line strider deck because they kind of buck the trends of having yeah. this sort of uh, archetypal images displayed on the cards. So in place it's of the a- horse, there's a tortoise. Right. And it's a it's a very important image that differentiates this knight from the other knights, which if you get a knight of swords, for example, it would be kind of the opposite of this card. It would be, you know, you've done your planning, it's time to go, it's time to initiate action. Don't think, just operate on your on your feet and with your intellect and with your gut. Uh your which intuition. comes through with the cups. Yeah, and then cups and wands being drive or motivation or passion. The Knight of Pentacles is the one that is is not fighting for glory or for emotion or anything like that. They are fighting to live and to be prosperous. A soldier of fortune. Soldiers Just like fortune. make heroism. You just spend a little fortune to murder somebody like a soldier. I think they were already dead. Just well, well. given the, the, the state of decay and how easy that had just came off well i would it was done so masterfully i'd call it a second murder (laughs) died all over again i just died in your arms tonight must have been something you boosted must have ripped off my head uh if you want to do you have any parting thoughts on the knight of pentacles slow and steady wins the race Practical, reliable stoic slow and steady hard-working committed patient conservative yep that's about it if you want to check out that tarot card, it's posted up at the top of our show notes, which you can find over at zosascorner.substack.com. We got all of the links to the videos for clips that we produce, uh, memes, links to articles, archived articles, mind you, uh, except for not this week. I didn't get a chance. Um, but producer credits, all of it shows up in there. Um, we even have handy little boost guides. Uh, a lot of these sounds that you've been hearing firing off is just people sending Bitcoin through a podcast and 2.0 app. And depending on the value or the amount of value that you send in, you can trigger different sound effects like a, uh, like a shooting gallery almost. Indeed. Uh, kind of just ring off whatever you like. And then of course, if you just want to donate anyway, you might, you never know, you might hit something on accident or 
Maybe you won't even hit anything at all. Maybe you don't even need to do it. There's there's about 40 of them, so I've definitely lost track of what does what at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we need to re-up our spreadsheets, but that's okay. It's still there, and it's still working. It's over 9,000! There you go. See, if you boost over 9,000 sets, 9,001 to be exact, you get what Pfeiffer just got. A classic Dragon Ball Z line. Yes, a timeless classic. Back when power levels still meant something. Yes, back when back before we all hit our power levels. <laughs> you haven't even seen my final form yet, bitch. <laughs> even your final form. Uh, but this is a value for value production, meaning that everything Woo-hoo! that we produce, we put out on the internet for you to enjoy Woo-hoo! totally free. Uh, and if there's anything that you enjoyed, we just hope that you turn around and send mm-hmm. some of that value back, whether it be through financial contributions, clips, ISOs, uh, articles for links, music. All of it goes towards making this the sort of public radio that you got to have. Indeed. The true public radio. No ads, no corporations, just you. And, no, and if you like it, you know, you do it. And no paywalls. And no paywalls. Uh, yes, exactly. Whatever value you get out of this show, you can return that value right on back. That's the model. I love you guys. Don't get me wrong. It's all about this. But for the first time in my life, I'm 18 and I can say, fuck you. You come for me. Violence is a sign of success. Do a commercial, you're off the artistic roll call. Every word you say is suspect. You're a corporate whore, and uh, end of story. They're fucking full of shit. You come for me. I just want to say I'm not afraid. I am so thrilled to have these super diamond plus Karen purple Rises. rare diamond tier double diamond platinum double diamond tiered. Yeah. It's the ones those are the sort of ISOs that cause all of the school kids to gather around with a bated breath as they flip through whoa, the binder. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. Oh my god. Wait, hold on. Let me before you say something that's going to get us in trouble. Let me just <laughs> Oh, hold on now. We need to talk to our lawyers real quick. Here. Let me just let me just pump your brakes for you there, bud. Saving you from yourself, boobs. <laughs> Someone's got to do it. <laughs> Easiest way that you can uh, help produce this show is by calling our screen mail line 612-263-7999. You can call us up. Uh, tell us what's on your mind. Or if you just want to scream like a goddamn maniac, you can do that, too. We love it when people do that, and someone usually does, uh, at least one person, and maybe you could be that awesome person that we want to hear scream. If you call 612-263-7999, I know it's deep down there in your tummy. Mm. Pull it out. Aw, yeah. Um, What are you feeling for a die roll? Oh, let's look at my die. Uh, Let's see here. We've got... Oh, I like the the diamond one, the eight sided. How about that? Diamond, I, I, I for our diamond tier ISOs. Ah, uh, yes, the Carolyn die. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um. All right, and let's do let's do cl- lowest goes first. Okay, lowest goes first on the diamond. 
In another reality, I did super well. What'd you get? A seven. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. The gate, the gate, the climate gate. I, I need to know what the second uh, little audio bit to that ISO is. That's one of just my favorite sound bites from No Agenda. And he goes into that little gate to the climate gate. Little fairy tale music. I always thought that was weird. That it was a two parter. I, I like it, but it's a very uh, juxtaposed, you know? Ah, uh, yeah. So if anybody out there has uh, information on where I could find that, uh, let's, uh, let's get together. Yeah. Oh, welcome. Welcome, Daljin, to the green room. Daljin. Um, well, what'd you get? I got uh, a, a three. Oh, well, uh, the floor is yours then. Uh, right. Well, uh, we continue on. Well, actually, it's a nice little segment I, I think we got here. It might be an ongoing segment. A women of mystery. Segment. Oh, my God. Yes. Hello. Yes. Hi. So, so <laughs> could you please play the new segment clip I provided you? You're listening to Behind the Schemes, Women of Mystery. <laughs> working, working. That's right. Women of Mystery on Behind the Schemes. <sighs> Man, you gotta fucking warn me that I need a fan for these types of episodes. Because <laughs> it's all the way across the other room, side of the room and I can't get up now because I'm glued here. Oh, you gotta get the the hair feathered. So we, you know, that's another reason we need to go uh, video eventually, is so that we can get that that fanned hair going for you. Oh yeah, you know, like Michael Jackson. <laughs> you can have like the, your jean jacket, f- you know, floating in the air. Be sick. <laughs> anyway. Uh, so we're talking about women of mystery and today's woman of mystery is none other than Christine Blasey Ford. That's right. (laughs) Yes. Woman of mystery. (laughs) (laughs) Whoa, man. Whoa, man. Whoa, man. That's a, that's a lady. The, straight from hell. <laughs> if by straight from hell you mean Bethesda, Maryland, you would be correct, sir. All these people, despite everybody I'm going to talk about associated, they're all a bunch of DC spooks. Mmm, delicious. Uh, so, as I hit, allured at uh, last week, one of my favorite, like, dumb conspiracy theories going around that I just, that just tickles me to no end. This is the stuff that gives me a lot of joy in the world, knowing that there are things that go around like this. Uh, there is a rumor that Christine Blasey Ford, who, if for anybody who doesn't know, accused uh, nominated Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh in 2018 under the Trump administration, uh, accused him of sexual misconduct. And it was a very, very, very publicized uh, hearing. It was on national television where she went in front of the whole world and she said, yes, that man assaulted me. And uh, I I am here to stand up, not just for myself, but for all women, all women who have been 
assaulted and have been forced to keep quiet. And I will stay quiet no longer. And this whole incident went on and it really put a lot of wind under the Me Too movement's wings. Which, uh, as you said earlier on, on another show, it was caused by a certain... Uh, who did you say was the... It was an actress. I I was under the impression that Rose McGowan was Rose the catalyst uh, yeah. from Charmed, I believe. Yeah, Rose McGowan has been on a bunch of TV shows. Uh, or at least used to be. Well, She uh, <laughs> is not on TV so much these days. <laughs> And let's be real, if Me Too is going to come from anywhere, it's going to come from Hollywood, it's going to come from the Weinstein crowd, and the whole system of Hollywood, which is in place, which you know kind of promotes and rewards that sort of behavior. But with this, we have Christine Blasey Ford and Brett Kavanaugh. Now, the rumor, as I was getting to, is that they are not two different people. They are the same person. The, the theory is that Brett Kavanaugh was forced to put on a dress and makeup and accuse himself in front of God, country, and and everybody uh, in in a sort of a hazing ritual, like an occultist hazing ritual, in order to become the Supreme Court justice in such a, a heated time, as was the Trump administration in 2018. Uh, wearing the dress is a, is a ritual that we're very familiar with. Yeah. Oh. It is a very real thing that people in television and movies must do. Uh, you must wear the dress if you want to be initiated into the big, big circles. Well, not to detract too far, but on the musical that I was uh, that I was working on, there's this whole scene where they're singing uh, "You Spin Me Right Round, Baby, Right Round" uh, by Dead uh-huh. or Alive, and it's the um, it's the movie producer character Stan Saturn, and he's getting this super buff kind of Chris Hemsworth looking motherfucker to wear a Raggedy Ann dress while there's giant turntables of cocaine spinning on stage, and it's this oh whole like. <laughs> Meanwhile, in the real world, dot dot dot, and it <laughs> lights up into <laughs> into this fucking <laughs> executive meeting. <laughs> Meanwhile, behind open doors, I like it. Hey, man, that meme of the casting couch exists for a very specific reason. Yes, it does, and it applies to all different facets of of all many different industries, uh, whether it be politics or music or film or whatever. You have to uh, audition a lot of the time for things. A lot of life is just auditioning for stuff. And the only difference between an actor and a person is that an actor is auditioning usually themselves. They're trying to sell themselves as a product. Whereas most people aren't doing that. They're selling a product or they're selling a service, which is nice. Uh, but in politics, it's very much selling yourself. Brett Kavanaugh had to sell himself to, to, on a certain level at a very, very publicized level, more than most other Supreme Court justices have to go through, although, Lord knows, a few of them do go through the ringer. Um, but anyway, onto this. So I've got some side-by-side pictures. You can see for yourself in the show notes at zososcorner.substack.com where some of these rumors may have come up from. Just If you look at the side-by-sides, you'll see that they do look somewhat similar. They have a similar head shape, uh, similar eyes, eye color, uh, mind you, you know, with the level of prosthetics that we're talking about, if they were to truly do it, then you could do all kinds of things to change your appearance. Oh shit. Just go back to our show art two weeks ago. You don't even need prosthetics. You just have to have a really good mask. 
Right. Well, that's, you know, that's, that's uh camera trickery here. It's a little tougher to do because she really was out in public. And the only thing that I could see where they look similar is they both kind of have heads where if it was a block of clay that was round, you kind of squeezed it in and then made a little like soft rectangle out of it. Yeah. Sort of like a thumb kind of look like. You get like little thumb heads. Very thumb. Very thumb indeed. Very thumbelina. Yeah. Uh, the, the one I've also seen, if you look at closely at their chins, you'll see that they both have a sort of indentation in the chin on the uh, right side of their, uh, face on the right side, looking their direction. See, I, the, the chin is what's really kind of throwing me off. This is, this is where I, I'm kind of losing it. Like when you, when you're looking at the cheekbones, I'm, I'm kind of there, but. Ford's chin is just so much stronger than Kavanaugh's. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it's it's hard to say. It's uh, she has, I guess, more of a pronounced jowl. Yeah, she does. She has a little bit of a more pronounced jowl. If you look at the side as well, it, it's it makes uh, it shows that mm-hmm. very well. Uh, the facial expressions are a little different, like when they purse their lips. In uh, in a disappointed face, they kind of look somewhat different. Oh, but uh, yeah, because both of them were just so very disappointed during this whole thing. Uh, this should be an easy thing, you would think, Booberry, to <laughs> I could disprove. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let's be real here. I, it's a it's a ridiculous theory, you know. If she really were a fake person, then she wouldn't have, you know. Pictures and records produced throughout her whole life of her life. Social media, LinkedIn, where she's worked, all that stuff. And it just so happens that I have a friend who has access to certain kinds of uh, background check access that I don't have. She was able to, to procure a background check on Christine Blasey Ford for me. And that led me down a little bit of a rabbit hole because I was then opened up to some information that I hadn't seen before, some very specific information um, on her family and on where she's lived and where she's worked and her education. I didn't want to publish the full thing because it has her addresses on there. Oh, yeah. It just seems in bad taste. <laughs> to mm. be, like I, I, It feels in bad taste. And I, I've maybe done it once or twice in the past, like with the – with the Pelosi hammer guy. But that was like, they were spouting that address all over the place. So it wasn't really a big secret, but this one is sort of a secret. So I decided to do the responsible thing and not disclose it, but I did take pictures of the, of the homes and I blacked out the actual addresses on them, but I showed the homes themselves so that you can actually get a picture of, of her background and her upbringing. Uh, Christine Blasey Ford, born November 28th, 1966. She is a doctor of psychology, and she works with Stanford primarily, uh, Stanford School of Medicine, Stanford School of Psychology. Her husband, allegedly, is Russell Ford, uh, who is a big pharma CEO. He's worked for a number of uh, Silicon Valley-based health startups, uh, notably a startup called Zosano, which he was the head of, uh, which I guess just filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. So, you know, you win some, you lose some. 
And he is also a Stanford guy. There's a lot of Stanford going on here. A short list of Christine Blasey Ford's previous jobs. She worked for a place called the Brain Resource Company as a consultant. Oh, my God. The Brain Resource Company. Oh, my. Provides growing need for brain solutions with a wide range of users, including consumers, corporates, clinicians, and research. Oh, fuck. This is going to make me fold. I can feel it already. (laughs) So she's into brain stuff. Uh, She's worked for pharmaceutical companies, among them Titan Pharmaceuticals, whose lead product, uh, Probofine, is the first and only commercialized treatment of opioid dependence. What about methadone? Uh, methadone. Oh, let's see. Hmm. Methadone. Uh, Long acting full deal here. Methadone. I mean, it's. I think it's. It's definitely a stretch to call it treatment. Uh, it's the only. I should say FDA approved treatment. That doesn't make sense because methadone's FDA approved. Hmm. Well, then maybe Titan Pharmaceuticals is making a false claim here. But according to their site, they say that uh, this is the first and only commercialized treatment of opioid dependence to provide continuous around-the-clock blood levels of uh, bupref. Oh, God, I hate this shit. Buprenorphine for six months. So it's a specific procedure. Uh, but either way, opioid dependence, always a, always a moneymaker. Also worked for Corsept Therapeutics. Uh, ran a, as a director of statistics there. So she's very smart. And she works extensively with Stanford at the Department of Psychiatry, uh, at the Stanford Division of Child Psychiatry, mm. and a, uh, a faculty member of Stanford's consortium department and hospital and clinics. So she's a, psych, a psychologist and a clinician by trade. Now, uh, you know Stanford. What what do we know about the psychology department at Stanford, Booberry? Ooh, you've cut me somewhat flat-footed. I, I'm sure there's something there, but nothing is jumping to mind immediately. Oh, well, uh, if you could please uh, play CBF1, my clip, CBF1 SPE. August 14th, 1971, Palo Alto, California. Twelve young men are rounded up from their homes by police, placed under arrest, and brought to a makeshift prison in the basement of Stanford University. It all begins as a study on the psychology of prison life, led by Stanford psychology professor Dr. Philip Zimbardo. Twenty-four volunteers, twelve guards, and twelve prisoners have agreed to spend the next two weeks recreating life in a correctional facility. The prisoners are booked and stripped nude. They're no longer individuals, forced to wear smocks, stocking caps, and shackles, identified only by their prisoner numbers. It evolves into a confrontation. The guards showing the prisoners who's boy. The guards quickly adapt to their new profession. Given anonymity by their mirrored sunglasses, some of them start to control the meager food rations, restrict prisoners' bathroom use, and... As tensions rise, so do their cruel methods. (laughs) 
Within just six days of the planned two-week study, conditions are so bad that the entire operation is shut down. I'm inside! Help me out! Help me out now! Mm. <laughs> yes, how could, how could I have forgotten this one? <laughs> yes, the Stanford prisoner experiment. Who could forget? So this is a uh, loosely associated, they say, with MK Ultra. I'm sure people around here are familiar with MK Ultra. If not, we might explain into it a little more later. But the Stanford prison experiment was conducted in the summer 1971, and it was a uh, claimed to be a highly immoral thing. A study that was done by, as they say, Philip Zombardo. Two-week simulation, prison environment. You have prisoners and you have prison guards. And they're all students. And the it's a very famous experiment. And it's listed in all kinds of uh, psychology books as something not to do. But what they always talk about is, is the moral implications of the study and not the conclusion. Not what was actually deduced from the study. What do you think was deduced? From the study, Booberry. I'm going to take a wild stab at it and say it's probably along the same lines as the experiment, the shock experiment, where they would have people under doctor's orders um, administer stronger and stronger bursts of electricity to people, even past the point where they were asking the, the people being shocked were asking them to stop. Mm-hmm. Uh, something kind of in that realm. That people I would say so. Give, yeah. Given one inch of power, we'll fucking take it and run with it. And specifically, it was for that experiment, it's the, well, these are just orders. If somebody tells me to do it and I have no choice but to follow orders, then I'm not actually doing anything wrong. And then with this, the standard prison experiment, it seemed to lean towards anonymity. Uh, they gave these prisoner guards big sunglasses and they gave them a whole different kind of set of rules to operate under that gave them this supposed level of anonymity and, and dehumanization that allowed them to do these awful things. Uh, we'll, we'll play this uh, second clip, CBF2. The study makes international headlines. Zimbardo's fame skyrockets and his conclusions are taught to students worldwide, used as a defense in criminal trials, and are even submitted to Congress to explain the abuses inflicted at Abu Ghraib. The study brings up a question just as important then as it is today. Is evil caused by the environment or the personalities in it? Zimbardo's shocking conclusion is that when people feel anonymous and have power over depersonalized others, they can easily become evil. And it occurs more often than we'd like to admit. Indeed, indeed. And as Willie Steed correctly points out in the chat, uh, brown shirts can apply to these people as well. Brown shirts who go out and carry out these things on someone else's orders or under an ideology that isn't their own, but something that they tagged onto and feel militantly about. And also, never forget, wear your mask. Wear it now. <laughs> wear your mask. Yes. Maybe maybe These, that's what made people a little more crueler. <laughs> I think that was part of it. Wearing a mask, yeah. Mm. It reminds me of, because uh, you're, you know, you've done musicals. I'm sure you've worked on Our Town at some point. I have not, actually. Oh, no? you never done Our Town? Mm-mm. Oh, well, I like our town just for the moral, which is people don't ever make eye contact or look at each other. (laughs) And it's kind of true. As you go out through life, 
you find a lot of the time you don't really look at people. You don't really notice things. You kind of just flitting from one thing to the next. And uh, the mask experiment sort of adds to that. It elevates that, that sort of dispersonal connection. Well, However, then, can, then you're only communicating at distance via icon. I mean, not, not quote unquote only, but you know, that, that eye contact, it's all like on the forefront right there. Yeah. It's all information based communication as opposed to the subtle nuances of interpersonal communication. You know, I can't wink at you. So that whole, a whole world goes away. Sour town. Good one to That's right. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's a good moral, but I don't, I don't need to sit through it. And certainly not at a high school. Uh, so we also have from this, uh, what's this, this background check was from truth finder background report. I found all, all where she worked. I found some photos of her in grade school, which I thought was just as good as anything else. And those are in the show notes. Those is corner.substack.com. And then I also found her known family connections. And as I started looking into her family, her immediate family, I came to one conclusion, Booberry. What's that? Intelligence community. What? Yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, it leans <laughs> towards that way. Come on. Are you for yeah. real? Oh, it's, it could be true. Could be true. This lady. So the, the story goes between these two that they went to high school together. And during high school, uh, Brett Kavanaugh, I guess, cornered her in her room and made her feel very uncomfortable and threatened. And uh, although no full assault took place, uh, she was able to get away. She felt just terrible about it for the rest of her life. It really shook her up for all of time. And it was one of the reasons why she moved across the way from her upbringing in the rich suburbs of Washington, D.C., to move across the country to date a pharmaceutical spook. Uh, and run uh, a CIA-affiliated program at Stanford. This is the idea between uh, behind uh, Christine Blasey Ford. The Blasey family is very easy to find on LinkedIn and on various uh, other things. And Snopes, who is so famous for doing their debunking articles, really did a funny job of debunking a lot of the so-called conspiracy theories about Christine Blasey Ford really in the article, they just kind of confirm them, but then say that they're not quite how Alex Jones or whoever worded it. Yeah. Her grandfather did work for a CIA affiliated dark money bank, but because we can't find the website that says that we can't confirm that. So it kind of goes like that. It's a, it's a very bizarre article and it's in the show notes. You can find it. Uh, I, I I want to see that one real quick. Um, here, I'll find an example here while I, while I'm talking about it. So we've got the Snopes debunk here. Let's see. I guess I could have just looked for it. Search. Ah, there it is. Good stuff in here. Is Christine Blasey Ford deeply tied to the Central Intelligence Agency? False. False. <laughs> Turns out that, yeah, I mean, sure, the undergraduate program at CIA, at the CIA undergraduate internship at Stanford, yeah, sure, she does direct that. And yeah, okay, her brother did w- once work for a law firm that shares a building with three CIA-operated companies. 
Oh, hi, Mark. Oh, hi there. <laughs> oh, maybe both are brothers do are high-powered lawyers in Washington, D.C. that operate under these uh, programs. Yeah, sure. Okay, great. Um, Let's see here. Let's go through the family members, shall we? Mm-hmm. So we've got the husband, as we mentioned, Russell Ford. He's a pharma CEO. He's a Sano. He's a Stanford guy. Then you have Christine Blasey Ford's father, Rolf Blasey Jr. Uh, and you'll find that there are, I think, four generations of Rolf Blasey's now. Ralph Blasey's. So the, her father is Ralph Jr. And he ran a banking loan, and he's a CIA-affiliated guy. They say that he probably was... Uh, running CIA dark money in the 60s and 70s and laundering all of that in-house. We have some information here on him. He served as the Vice President of Business Development at Redcoats Incorporated. Redcoats Incorporated. That is a company that provides cleaning services and uniform security to high-level government and intelligence buildings, among other things. But basically, at Langley or wherever... Redcoats Incorporated, they're the guys that are running the cleaning and the security. That's for the high end stuff. Hilarious. <laughs> the Redcoats. So, wow. Red. Yeah. <laughs> A couple of uh, insinuations there with Redcoats. You know, many. you know how many you know how many Redcoats I fake shot with my musket in my day? <laughs> Loads. Okay. Yeah, if you're part of the re- uh, revolutionary reenactment scene, I imagine you're disgusted at hearing this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I am. <laughs> so not only is Redcoats obviously an allusion to to uh, British forces during the Revolutionary War, but it also kind of has a little Rothschild feel to it, too. I hate to go that route, but it's very it's a very easy way to go, but... Redcoat, Rothschild, Red Shield, Rose Shield, Rosecoat, Rosecoat, Rose Cruz, Rose Cross, Redcoats, RC, uh, which was the name of the uh, the guy who was on the Georgia Guidestones. The guy who built the Georgia Guidestones, his initials were RC. Oh, yeah. I do remember that. So you got Rosicrucians, Rothschilds, Redcoats, etc. All of that is hinted at, I think, with the name. Uh, if you want to go down that route. He was also the president of Weston International Corporation, which is a Maryland corporation that has its sticky fingers all the fuck over the place. In fact, there's an office not far from where I live. Uh, there's uh, He was the vice president of the National Savings and Trust of Washington, D.C., which is a historic bank. It's been there for a bit, and the building itself is beautiful. I put a picture of it in the notes. Zososcorner.substack.com. Historic National Savings and Trust Building in D.C. Really lovely, uh, you know, red brick building from an older time. And you can definitely see uh, the uh, American government in the 50s and 60s being like, yeah, yeah, this is it. Yeah, this looks like HQ to a T. Yeah. (laughs) When I think HQ, I see this. (laughs) It's kind of untouched by time in a way. It's very pretty. Uh, so he ran that sucker uh, for many years, uh, over 12 years, I would say. He was also the chairman of the Beverage Industry Council of the Food Processing and Beverage Manufacturing Association, which is a major food industry trade organization. 
So he's also an industrialist, as well as a lawyer, as well as a banker. <laughs> and he was the director of U.S. Liquids Incorporated uh, and has been on and off since 2002. So this guy is quite a hog. Quite a guy. Hmm. Right. And I, I don't know if this is going to jump the gun too much on you, but I, I saw that um, one of the schools that uh, Christine went to was Chapel Hill, which is not a cheap school. Uh, maybe in Chapel the 80- Hill. Maybe in the eighties, it would have been um, a little bit different. I'm not sure because I wasn't living in North Carolina at that time, nor would I care about what the uh, <laughs> cost of college tuition was at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a very incredibly hoity-toity, very like, I mean, that's where all the like medical research belt is through the mm-hmm. triad there, Durham. Um, it's very, it's very pharma, very, very medical, very pharma and very old America, very, uh, very old America, North Carolina, which they seem to have some association with as well. If you follow through. On all of the siblings' education, I think one of them went to the University of North Carolina. So they're kind of scattered around that area. And yeah, it's, there seems to be a big hand in medical. This is the thing that kept popping up over and over again. Everybody in the family is involved in the medical industry at the highest levels. And not only the medical industry, but the education, the education industry associated with it. So not only are they working for the biggest hospitals and groups in the world, but they're teaching the subjects at the biggest colleges in the world. They have a huge influence and presence uh, in all of that. On top of that, her dad graduated, I thought this was interesting, from Rutgers. Rutgers University in uh, Jersey. Uh, I had some buddies that went to Rutgers. It's a fun college. Also an old school American college. And yeah, so so the dad definitely has CIA links and banking links and all of that. Then you go to any thoughts before I continue? It's phenomenal. <laughs> Please continue. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Bethesda and all of that area is just so much old American money floating around there. And also, I should preface this as well. Each and every one of them are registered Republicans. Very I'm a, interesting. That that is surprising. That's like you, you remember the old school schemes back when it was like Bush and Cheney. Oh yeah, takes me back, man. I miss it. <laughs> These guys have Bush written all over them. Uh, yeah. <laughs> as a matter of fact, Kavanaugh himself was a uh, was on the staff for George W. Bush. Oh, I thought you were getting ready to say he was lying in the coffin with him, jacking him off. <laughs> He very well may have. Uh, I don't think he went to Yale, though. I think Kavanaugh went somewhere. Actually, let me find out where Kavanaugh went real quick. Uh, Kavanaugh had a very interesting career in life. You have to be in order to be a Supreme Court justice. Um, let's see here. Education, education. Yale. He went to Yale. Oh! Wow. Wow. Oops. Wow. Oh, boy. In nice and tight with the conservative establishment. Very good. (laughs) Damn. These are the creme de la creme. The uniparty, baby. Sometimes sometimes it really does right itself. 
<laughs> and people wonder why we ask questions, yeah. you know? Oh, everything's just tip top around here. That's amazing. Oh boy. Going on and to speak more on the Republicans, her brother, Ralph Blasey, the third, uh, worked for, uh, uh, gosh, why am I stumbling on my words? He's a lawyer, but the word I'm looking for is he's a litigation guy for Basker Hostetler, which is one of the largest law firms in the USA. I, I, I hadn't heard of them. Have you heard of them? Nope. Unfamiliar. Yeah. I, I hadn't heard of them either, but turns out just to name a couple of the things that they're working on, they are overseeing the liquidation of Bernie Madoff's firm in the bankruptcy courts. And apparently they've recovered up to $14 billion uh, in restitution from people who were part of the scam, whether they knew it or not, <laughs> which I thought was funny. Uh, Wait, they also, you, what's that? you say that as if they're still currently liquidating that they're still trying to find recompense wow. for the victims. Jesus. And they're okay. going at the way that they worded it. It looked like they were going after anybody who had made money in the, in the, uh, in the Ponzi scheme. Anyone who had invested and made a significant return now has to pay that money back. Bummer. It's too bad. Uh, whether they knew it or not, whether they knew that it was a, a, a chip or not. And most people didn't know. Um, on top of that, uh, Becker Hostler were hired by House Republicans to provide legal representation to sue Obama over the Affordable Care Act. Wow. So that's a big one. And they have represented such tiny, insignificant clients uh, such as the Ford Motor Company, Microsoft, Disney, Bayer, ExxonMobil, Boeing, IBM, and many more. <laughs> Defense, <laughs> vaccines, PSYOP. German pharmaceutical company. Ugh. Rockefellers. All day long, Rockefellers. Bayer, Exxon, Mobil, Ford, all Rockefeller bitches. J.P. Morgan. All in the club. The New York club. And you want to be part of that club. Uh, so that's a little bit on him. And he also is associated with some of the other companies that we brought up. The Redcoats Incorporated. Also, uh, some other affiliated companies. Data Watch. Data Watch is a company that provides uh, security systems for the high-end government and corporation buildings, while the Redcoats provide the cleaning and security, uh, uniformed armed guard security. Admiral Security Systems, which also provides security systems. Uh, National Savings and Trust, the bank. And, oh my goodness, her brother, uh, Tom Blasey, who we have not mentioned, works for a company a little company I like to call Northrop Grumman. You ever heard of them? What'd you call me? You heard me. <laughs> and I'll fight you. That's right. Northrop <laughs> Grumman. No, the, I no idea. <laughs> oh, they're, uh, well, you've heard of Lockheed Martin. Yeah. Yeah. So Northrop Grumman is their main uh, competitor. Oh, okay. They are war toys. Uh, for example, they're the ones that developed the B-2 stealth bomber. Oh, Jesus. Speaking of women of mystery, I clicked on that link. I have second article down, the women of Artemis. Cool. The women of Artemis. Hell yeah. Talk about <laughs> fucking summoning some archetypes there. Hell yeah. Yeah. We're stringing along. Stringing along. The women of Artemis. I like it. Northrop Grumman. 
Uh, yeah, yeah. Bully Steve's right. Military airplanes, aerospace, for sure, uh, and stuff like that. So he works for them. So that's a military industrial complex connection. Uh, along with Lockheed and, and them, they're the two preeminent stealth jet engineering firms in the country, probably in the world. Uh, and then, of course, the Stanford Psychology Department. We have, what else do we have here on the family? Um, well, that's, that's just about it as far as her immediate family is concerned. Another little bit that I did find was uh, they had, it was a small town, I guess. Maryland state land records show that uh, Christine Blasey Ford's parents, Ralph and Paula Blasey, purchased a home in Maryland in June 1977. According to the county circuit court records, uh, in 96, they were foreclosed on. And Judge Martha Kavanaugh, who was Brett's Kavanaugh's mother, oversaw those proceedings. So this so, is personal. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's might be a little uh, link to uh, some past history here. Yeah. So when Christine Blasey Ford's parents' home was getting foreclosed on, it was Brett Kavanaugh's mother who oversaw those proceedings. Uh, but the Blaseys were able to refinance their mortgage, and uh, Judge Martha Kavanaugh granted that the uh, motion come to a close. Uh, so they basically got helped out. And and the Blasies got to keep their home. So that's and that's real. That's not uh, any theory. That's full on shown in the records, and I've posted those records in the show notes. Zozoscorner.substack.com. Judge Martha Kavanaugh. I just want to say how much I appreciate you for doing and showing the work. <laughs> we do the work here, people. Because uh, you know. Let's it's referenced. It's referenced <laughs> up, baby. <laughs> Fuck with me. Do it. Ask me where I got my information. Ugh. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, let's see. What else do we have here on the Blasies here? Uh, so I also have her, as I said, I've got the addresses. I've got a lot of addresses of hers, but I didn't want to post any of them because I thought that would be a dick move. So what I did was I found... This home, this Maryland home they were talking about here that was foreclosed on, almost foreclosed on, and her other home, which is where she lives now, uh, allegedly in Palo Alto in Silicon Valley, very close to Stanford University. The home in Maryland is a beautiful, classic D.C. suburb, uh, brick colonial, very, very lovely. And then the other home... It stuck out to me the one in Palo Alto if you're seeing it it's a it's a small home it's not like a big mansion or anything and that's kind of the way of things in Silicon Valley is a lot of these rich rich tech guys unless they're like you know Larry Ellison or Bill Gates a lot of these very wealthy people they live in pretty humble abodes uh, whereas you know if they were living somewhere outside of Silicon Valley they'd be able to afford something massive but the housing is just so expensive and so condensed in Silicon Valley that these people are forced to live in these, uh, what you would call a normal house. <laughs> and this house in, on the street in Palo Alto is the only house on the whole street that uh, is completely closed off with a fence. It's not a high fence. 
but it is a fence nonetheless. And I put a picture of the rest of the houses on the street. We call that a privilege fence. Yeah. That's a, we're not taking any today. Thank you. Fence. (laughs) We don't like your kind. Yeah. And I must say the house is also one of the better kept houses on the street as well. With a beautiful fence. Remind me where Palo Alto is near. Palo Alto is in between San Francisco and San Jose. Okay. It's on the west side of the bay on the peninsula, the San Francisco peninsula. And Stanford is wedged uh, pretty close in there too. And that is what you would call Silicon Valley. There's some parts of San Jose. It's like, Whoa, wow. This is fucking rough. Oh, San Jose is a weird town. Very weird town. Uh, there's a lot of tech money there, but it's there's nobody that lives there. I mean, if that makes sense. There's there's not a it's not like a city where people are proud to be there and they're going around. It's San Jose. It's downtown has one of those drop in shopping housing complexes. So it's it's the outdoor mall, but you have the rental units above it. Yeah. Um and then it's when condensed. you when you step out of fucking fairy tale land there you're just surrounded by fucking transient people uh just jacked out of their gourd. Yeah, a lot of bums. It's very skid rowy around there. I will say there is a Frank Lloyd Wright designed theater there in town, one of two birthday cake shaped uh theaters that he built, the other one being in Oh God, um, Tempe, Arizona. Ah, Tempe. Okay. Yeah, it's kind of a pain in the ass because the 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 loading dock is a giant down curved ramp. <laughs> oh, nice. So he didn't figure in that whole thing. He no. just uh, yeah. Uh, but well, thanks, Frank. I will say, San Jose, its spot booth is just a it's a truly magical place because year after year. The spot operator, it's been the same operator for I don't know how long. Every year she would add just another strand of Christmas lights or Halloween lights. And it's just, I mean, it's like something out of a movie when you walk up there. Mm-hmm. It's wild. Uh, it's just such a, such a cool place to run spots. And it's one of those old um, fireproof film projector booths, right? So you can sit up there and run spot up and chain smoke. Like a motherfucker <laughs> while you're doing your spot calls. Awesome. Oh, dude. Also another Frank Lloyd uh, innovation, I'm sure. Well, I mean, that that's that's the case for a lot of the theaters built or in and around that same time. Because um, mm. the, the, the film acetate is just so combustible that if there was to be a fire, you wanted it contained. So a lot of the spot booths do have the just flame doors and flame walls everywhere. If if it went up, like <laughs> get out or uh, it's a, you're in the oven. Yeah, yeah. I'll uh, I'll find uh, a picture. I got I got one somewhere. I guess Servo is a fan of smoking uh, booths. Servo also likes to smoke in the booth. <laughs> <laughs> I don't go to San Jose very much because it's it's amazing how long it takes to get to places in this state. And I never have a reason to go. I kind of am on the fly here just comparing Bethesda, Maryland to San Jose, California. They're opposites in a way where 
as uh, Bullysteed says, Bethesda's sort of stealth wealth. It's sort of like, oh, we're just a homey little town, but really there's more money than God there. Yeah. And more influence. And then San Jose is the opposite, where the city itself is like, look how much money we have. Look how influential we are. Look, we're Silicon Valley. And then you walk around and it's a shithole. I don't think you can call places shitholes anymore, but. But what if they're shitholes? <laughs> what if I'm literally stepping in shit? What if I'm literally, yeah. What if there's just shit and needles and. Yeah, no, no, no. It's it's a shithole. And condoms. It's, it's, uh, I wish. Would <laughs> you people use some fucking condoms, please? Hey, that would be a great first time I ever for the bowlers. First time I ever found a used condom in public. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man. I used to be a tour guide in SF. <laughs> if I had a nickel for every used condom I've seen, I'd be able to buy a place in SF. <laughs> Wow. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Could have done a whole recycling system on it. Oh, could you imagine that stink? I don't have to. Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. Hmm. Uh where uh where were we? We were discussing uh San Jose and uh, just the, I was asking where Palo Alto was. We were looking at the um, the current, <clears throat> the alleged legend has it in Minecraft current residence of Christine. Uh, yeah, that's right. So we're talking about Silicon Valley. We're talking about Stanford. We'll just end it with Stanford. So Christine Blasey Ford currently oversees uh, an undergraduate internship program at Stanford that was developed by a CIA-connected psychiatric professor whose name is Dr. Frederick T. Melgez. And uh, I think I had it in the show notes. Maybe I should re-put it once the show's over, but there is a... Let me just say real quick, that sounds like some fake-ass fucking Nazi doctor name. I know, I know. It's some Operation Paperclip shit. I mean, all the fucking CIA, early CIA stuff has so much of that, so... You have to uh you have to keep an eye out for it. Oh, did we rip the stat? By the way, I'll continue. So we have here at Stanford uh archived the actual page where the CIA are promoting their their internship program through Stanford. Uh this is not a Stanford fellowship, it says, <laughs> although it's running through Stanford. Interested in foreign affairs? Looking for a career where you can make a difference? We invite you to participate in our undergraduate internship program. This unique program is designed to give promising undergraduate students, particularly minorities and people with disabilities, the opportunity to gain practical work experience that complements their academic studies. You will be given the opportunity to work with highly skilled professionals and see firsthand the role the CIA plays in supporting U.S. officials who make our country's foreign policy. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I'm just, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna hit you. There's something spooky going around these here parts. Yeah. Spooky Blasey Ford allegedly runs this very undergraduate program uh, or but, oversees it. But Snopes said that there was no connection. 
Well, then it must all be a coincidence. <laughs> what a coinkydink. Wow. It must be a coincidence. <laughs> Although the Snopes did provide me the link to the CIA site, which the, or I'm sorry, the Stanford site of that program, the Stanford site promoting it, they've taken it down. Stanford has officially, but of course there is an archived version. So I found the archived version that's in the notes. Uh, and that's not going anywhere anytime soon, hopefully. So we have our girl, Blasey Ford, hanging out at Stanford with the same people in the same programs where they developed the Stanford prison experiment and when they worked on a little something that we like to call MK Ultra, a.k.a. Operation Artichoke, a.k.a. many other names. Uh, if you could please play clip three, MK Ultra. MK Ultra was a government program run by the Central Intelligence Agency. Originally started as something called Bluebird in 1948-49, morphed into Artichoke, and then in 1952 became MK Ultra. It was a mind control program, a brainwashing program. The CIA was trying to learn how to control people's behavior without their knowledge. Now. This is all came out in Senate and congressional hearings in the 70s. It was exposed, but nobody knew about it until 1974 when Seymour Hersh, the New York Times reporter, reported it on the front page of the paper. Mm. So um, their main objective was to commit or to create what they called hypno program assassins, people who would kill on command uh popularly known as Manchurian Candidates after a book that was written in 1962 and later became a movie and then a movie again. Uh, the people would be, through drugs and hypnotism, the objective was to get people to go and commit an act of murder against their moral code and have no memory of their programming uh, and be amnesic even of the act after the fact often. Uh, that was just one of, that was their main goal, but they were also trying to create couriers, people, you know, military people that they could implant messages, send them, you know, across dangerous areas where there were, at that time it was the Vietnam War, uh, and deliver messages and then have them wiped from their, their memory in case they were captured. Uh, they had all kinds of objectives. So, Roger Smith was, uh, supervising Manson when he became Exactly what, or he was able to do exactly what the MK Ultra program had been trying to create and do for, at that point, about 15, 17 years. When it was all exposed in the 70s, and there were these hearings, first um, the Rockefeller Commission hearings and the church hearings, and then finally uh, Senators Ted Kennedy and Daniel Inouye held hearings. Um, the CIA admitted that they had done this, but they no one would say exactly what they did. All the records had been destroyed when the two people who ran it, Richard Helms, who had become the director of the CIA in the 60s, and Dr. Sidney Gottlieb, who was kind of the mad scientist who um, had supervised all the all – the, they had safe houses in San Francisco, New York, Los Angeles, where they would experiment on people that were lured in, into these um, – Apartments and houses that were either look look like brothels or hippie communes or whatever, and um, the people who were working at the Haight Ashbury Free Medical Clinic that was run by another Smith, which makes it a little confusing, but Dr. David Smith, who founded it, um, he had given an office to a scientist named Jolly West, Louis J. West, who um, 
was when when the hearings occurred in the 70s identified as a top mk ultra researcher he was an academic uh come out of the military had been at the Oklahoma University or Oklahoma University University of Oklahoma sorry and then UCLA running the psychiatric divisions he denied ever being involved in MK Ultra and this was one of the moments i think it was 2001 when you know things really kind of shook the course of my reporting was i learned that west had been at the same place that manson was in the hate in the summer that manson became exactly what the CIA was trying to create and I knew actually, I'd interviewed West about seven years before for a story I did about celebrity stalkers and people who were obsessed with stars and then only to kill them or try to kill them. And he was an expert in violence, hypnotism, brainwashing, and he was the chair of the psychiatry department at UCLA at that point. Wow. <laughs> these, these universities, uh, professors, man, these chairs, holy shit. They get into some wild stuff, man. The fucking megalomaniacs, dude. Whew. Takes my breath away sometimes. Over and over again. This is why academia is not as respected as it used to be, because people get into these positions and they act like dicks. Yeah. Straight dicks. Uh, To bring it back to Frederick Melge's over at Stanford, he was a psychiatrist professor of psychiatry, and he was noted for his interest in time and working on the role of distortions of time in psychiatric disorders. Uh, he also was very involved in the early 70s in experimenting Whoa. with cannabis. Oh, sorry, that was a misfire. Um, with cannabis? That's right. He was uh, He was introducing drugs and things like that into, into psychiatry. And who else was doing that at the time at Stanford in the early seventies? I'm I'm I don't even MK know. Ultra. Oh. <laughs> MK Ultra was fucking luring men into fake brothels with prostitutes who would then lace shit with acid. Operation Midnight Climax. Yeah, Midnight Climax, dude. People would just be fucking sitting behind a two way mirror watching what would happen to these guys on acid. It was all a big experiment, and they were trying to figure out how they could control people, how they could get people to, in the most extreme case, say, make an assassin. And then once that assassination has occurred, then they, oh, forget all the details of how they did it and, and you know, the Manchurian candidate situation. Melgez was there at Stanford fucking with people with drugs, psychiatric disorders, and another connection I'll make here. It's said that, let me just go to this part in the notes here, uh, Melgis, who himself, in 1985, took into his care the homeless woman Lois Lang, who assassinated CIA paymaster Nick Deke. (laughs) What? (laughs) Yes. So this is where it gets a little loopy here. But Nick Deke... Uh, is been called the James Bond of money, and he is considered uh, one of the earliest big players in financing and money laundering for the CIA. He is the OG CIA dark money man. And it turns out in 85, a homeless woman, Lois Lang, went into his office and shot him dead and didn't really quite know why. 
except for some sort of like hectic things that didn't make any sense. And then immediately went into the care of this man, Frederick T. Melgis. Uh, it's insinuated that after the reigns of this whole CIA paymaster shtick, uh, you know, ended with this guy's death, it then went into the controlling hands of Ralph G. Blasey Jr., uh, Christine Blasey Ford's father, who then took uh, took the reins through the National Savings and Trust in D.C. <laughs> I, I just spook. I mean, it's pretty it's, spooky. It's uh, you know. I was excited about the tease and I thought this was just like, you know, Oh, you know, listen to the, the YouTube folks who are just going back and forth on whether or not these two uh, individuals are indeed the same person. But this is, oh, it's just so meaty. There's a lot of, it, there's a lot of bone density there. <laughs> it's quite bone dense. Yeah. And this all coming from just her immediate family members. You know, I started looking into Kavanaugh's family, and there's a whole rabbit hole to go down there, too, because they're all from, cut from the same cloth, as it were. Yeah. Uh, no doubt. I mean, if I can, that, I love that connection between uh, Kavanaugh's mother and the foreclosure. I mean, talk <laughs> about a small world here. Yeah, very small world. Um, and one thing I was looking up here in the background, I, I was trying to remember where Ted Kaczynski went to school at. Ted Kaczynski went to Berkeley, which isn't far. Well, in 67, the 20, uh, 25-year-old Kaczynski became an acting assistant professor at the University of California, Berkeley, where he taught mathematics. Yeah. So UC Berkeley, Cal, as we call it here, uh, is is not far. It's just on the other side of the water, as it were. And they're both definitely the two preeminent um, San Francisco Bay Area institutions of higher learning. World-renowned, and I wouldn't be surprised, in fact, I'm definitely not surprised at all, if uh, the two had a lot of linking chains through those channels. I've said it before, and I'll say it again, San Francisco and the San Francisco Bay Area has an obvious rap as being, you know, liberal, full of gays, all that stuff. But the truth is, is San Francisco is loaded to the gills with military. There's so much fucking military, it hurts. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's in everything. It's in all the schools. It's in everything. Um, I mean, most of our bridges and shit are named after generals. We have Travis Air Force Base, which is one of the largest Air Force bases in the world. Uh, you know, down in San Diego, they train the Marines. Like, There's all kinds of military in California. Of that, there's no doubt. So with the schools, yeah, they have that connection. And Kaczynski was going to Berkeley around the time of MK Ultra, and he also participated in something that was like the prisoner experiment at Stanford. Although, from what I remember about his thing, it went on for years. Uh, apparently, he clocked in like over two hundred hours of being part of the study, where I think they just berated him. I think they were supposed to write. I don't know, just basically little conjectures on, on their beliefs. People just wrote, well, this is what I believe. And this is what I think. And the professor would take that and go, well, here's why you're wrong. Here's why you're wrong. And they would tear them down and belittle them and basically take the smartest people. A little bit of love. Oh, there he is. There's my man, Jim, another San Francisco legend. (laughs) 
<laughs> we got them all here, baby. Uh, Good winners here, baby. How can we keep winning this hard? So surely, we get surely, tired of winning. surely somebody's going to come to my house to stop this. Put it in <laughs> this. You know, Please. or make creepy accounts here and there to spook me. I don't know. I don't know what to. Uh, yeah, he was part of all that too. So the, there was obviously a string of psychological experiments that the CIA was was doing at these places in the late sixties and early seventies. So it got to a, a boiling point where they were doing such crazy, stupid shit that it would be in the news, and then eventually it went all the way to the top. And he mentioned when MK Ultra was brought uh, to the highest court in the land uh, under an investigation that was headed by. Ed Kennedy, Edward Kennedy, and guess who else was on that committee? Which senator in 1977 was on that committee? Uh, Pelosi. No. Shit. Higher. Uh, um, Feinstein. Joseph Biden. 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 Oh man. Senator Joseph Biden was on that fucking <laughs> in 77. <77. laughs> Let's see, 77, how how many years ago was that? How are you, baby? How old are you? How old are you, baby? (laughs) He's my favorite president. I don't give a fuck what anybody says. I mean, he's definitely a barrel of laughs, if nothing else. (laughs) Joe Biden, a barrel of laughs. The laughs keep coming. Yeah, none of these. What? Uh, bad, Bad clip. Not what I thought it was. Yeah, oh, it was Edward Kennedy, not Ted, but Edward Kennedy. And none of these other senators that are on the committee, the Committee on Human Resources, headed by Harrison Williams of New Jersey, I'm pretty sure everybody else in this list is dead or retired. The only guy who you can recognize the name on is Joseph R. Biden, Delaware. This guy's been around for a minute. Yeah, you know, he's part of the solution. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, you want to know why people are coming? That's why they're coming, because no, Biden's a good guy. Four more years. Four more years. Four more years. <laughs> My boy, Joe. Uh, Yes, yes. So this is my little foray into Christine Blasey Ford and her just confirming that she is probably a real person and not just uh, our boy in a dress and in a mask. Oh, she's realer than real, yo. Although, did you see the the Biden clone wearing a mask the other day? Uh, No. I, I should send it to you. It'd probably be good show art. But whoever was uh, pretending to be Biden scratched the back of his neck and the uh, like the mask like folded with it. Uh oh. Uh oh. It was it was very uh, interesting. Interesting little video. I have not seen this yet. And if there is video that makes me even more excited. I have to say I've been getting more into this because I, I think that it's plausible. I think that it's. It's not as difficult and not as crazy as people think 
that people go around wearing masks. You've seen people in the CIA, they've done demonstrations where they... Oh, dude, they got fucking YouTube channels dedicated to that shit. They got all these YouTube channels where they do that. And that was the show, the show art from last week as well. But it's, it's not, I mean, it's what people do. And they did it, uh, in a Mission Impossible, you know, when they're doing it 20 years ago. The technology and the stuff only gets better. And so you have to keep your eye out for this sort of thing. I'm sorry. It's, I know it's wacky tacky. And I know that we live in a strange and desolate future, but this is the world that we live in. And so you have to like, you have to give it a little bit of credulity. Otherwise you're being naive. Uh, Dalgen just linked and check this out here real quick. Oh, here we go. Here we go. This is, oh, there it is. You got it. Oh, so he's rubbing it and it kind of the way he presses on it, it, causes the the skin to kind of pucker up it it folds over and then it stays there and it stays there and it stays there and i mean it could be just him being old but when you look at it really close it looks very unnatural uh the other thing that comes to mind is maybe dehydration uh perhaps but i'm also totally on board with the concept that there's multiple multiple biden or people in biden masks walking around yeah, I, I've seen it go back as far as George H.W. Bush, the the idea that they might have clones or or just several actors playing the part. And when you see the side-by-sides, I mean, I've seen some really nasty side-by-sides of Biden where I'm like, yeah, that's not the same guy. He, you know? <laughs> he used to look like fucking uh, Jim Belushi, if you ask me. I can see that. Totally. I can see that. He, yeah, and you look different as you get older, but he looks way different, and he continues to look different. Just about every time I see him, he kind of looks different. So I just get weird. I get weirded out by the whole thing. Um. So it, the moral of the story is: look out for clones, people. And <laughs> sometimes, and if you find those clones, kill those clones. Kill them. <laughs> you kill them. You do. What any red-blooded American would do, and you kill them. Not medical advice. And also, we don't... And eat them. (laughs) Yeah. Kill the clones and eat them. In Minecraft. Allegedly. (laughs) Debunked by Snopes. I can can smell the debunking already. Mm. The, The great debunking. Do you ever think we'll get debunked? Do you ever think we'll get to that level? I certainly hope so. Mm, me too. Hit the big time. Pound me too. You know, you never know. And it, what do they say? All publicity is good publicity. <laughs> Until it ends in you being sued for a billion dollars by a bunch of crisis actors from Connecticut. Dude, I mean, the I think the next level would be to get sued for a billion and one dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, Alex. That's my goal in life now. Now, well, billion I, and one. From what I can see, that man ain't missing no meals, so it can't be all that bad. Yeah. Oh boy. Well, there you go. There's a little foray into the spooktacular New England life. I'm very, very excited to turn this particular section of notes into just the just a beautiful pin board. With the red strands and just that this is this is material deserving of that this this is yeah this is string and pin stuff here people 
And I needed people. You got to look into it, people. It's right there in front of you. All you got to do is reach out and grab it. Uh, I, I love this. And so the, the segment that I've done here, by the way, could you just play that, the segment intro one more time for me? Uh, I sure can for you. You're listening to Behind the Schemes, Women of Mystery. That's right. And next week on Behind the Schemes, Women of Mystery, I'll be bringing in a familiar character that you may uh, know and love. A lady by the name of Tiffany Dover. You remember her? God rest her soul. Rest in peace. I remember Tiffany. Old Tiffany Dover. That's right. I wonder how she's doing these days. Well, I've been looking into it, and it turns out not so good. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. What? (laughs) Yeah. Could be better for old Tiffany. (laughs) Fuck. Uh, I don't know if you uh, caught wind, but CNN uh, itself dropped its own podcast called Tiffany Dover is Dead, asterisk. Oh, I've, um, I'm familiar with this one. I'm, I've actually stumbled. Wait, unless this is a new one. Uh, it's pretty new. It's pretty fresh. They dropped about two episodes and then that's as far as they got. And then they pulled it because it was, because people were just ripping them to shreds, ripping them to absolute shreds. Uh, let me see if I've got it up here. Okay, here we go. Yeah. NBC, CNN, they're all kind of doing their rounds. Apparently, they found a lookalike that looks real, really doesn't actually look like her at all, but they're going with it anyway. Uh, NBC News, Tiffany Dover. So I will get into this much more next week, but the gist of it is Tiffany Dover, for anyone who doesn't remember, she was one of the first, uh, like nurses on TV to get the COVID shot. And she was, um, she was on TV getting the shot, and then minutes later she collapsed, and it was a big, big hullabaloo. It was the first, one of the first times that we at home had seen someone suddenly collapse, um, and it was obvious that you know it was from the vaccine because she was there wearing her mask, nurse in the house, and it was a big cover up. I mean, what, one way or another, they really tried to hush hush that whole thing. It was very embarrassing, and of course, we've only seen more instances of it since. She was just the first one. But she's been laying low for two to three years, or that's what they would have you say. And uh, they found some gal. uh, It doesn't look anything like her, and I'll put up some comparison photos. Uh, But they found somebody who I guess kind of looks like her and has gone on and is talking about it. And I've they took down all of the, 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 the this podcast was on Spotify. This Tiffany Dover is dead. And I was looking at it and I was listening to it. And then I would keep going back to it throughout the week. And today I went back to check it out and it is gone. Spotify has removed it. Uh, But thankfully there are a few episodes that are still up on YouTube. So I was able to snag those and archive them or anyone does anything with them. There, there was one from April of last year, 2022. And uh, this is the one. So there's two of these podcasts now uh, from what I'm understanding here called Tiffany Dover is dead. Truth is Tiffany Dover is dead by NBC. So it's NBC who keeps pushing this. 
And the person who wrote this article, his name is Brandy Zedrozny, is so spooky, she should be in Luigi's Castle. Uh, let me just see here. Brandy Zedrozny <laughs> is a senior reporter for NBC News. She covers misinformation, extremism, and the internet. The internet. Wow. The internet. <laughs> Don't forget your misinformation. Can you explain what internet is? Like, so uh, what did you go to school for? Oh, I got my BA in misinformation. Uh, and then I got my master's in extremism and then I went to Stanford and I got my doctorate in the internet. <laughs> I thought you were getting ready to say my doctorate in MK ultra. <laughs> well, speaking of MK ultra, this, uh, this article that you linked to here, the NBC one, uh, isn't that a, a recurring reoccurring meme in the, in the MK ultra, uh, the idea that, uh, dye people's hair blonde, kick them over Kanye, Eminem, uh, Britney Spears is a famous example where she shaved her head to sort of rid herself of that trigger mechanism. Mm, yeah, I have heard of this. Hair. It's a very powerful thing. I don't think I've ever met a lady who, when she was going through a breakup, didn't get a badass haircut. Mm. It's very important. It's an emotional thing. It's a very important thing. Empowering. Oh, and then, oh, Jesus. Looking further down, and we get a little... uh Divine eye action with this particular image. Standing, mm, standing. Yes. This is another. So again, we'll get all into this a little heavier next week, but yeah, all the images that they've posted of her are, uh, just a little askew there. You're not able to get a full clear image of the face. There's always something obstructing it or distorting it. And her pupil looks flat as fuck. I mean, it almost looks, it looks very, just fake. The the pictures just look very produced and fake. Uh, professional photography, f- uh, Photoshop, and then, you know, maybe even AI. You never know. The the pictures are not very convincing. Show me your hands. <laughs> yeah. Show me your fingers. How many fingers you got? How many fingers? Yeah. Uh, the other picture, yeah, you only see the side of her face. You never just get a good upfront picture oh my god and then you got this black and white striped syringe later on down in the article what is this it's very bizarre it's very very subliminal and it's it's just it's fucking bizarre the whole thing is fucking bizarre and i cannot wait to clip this podcast and and present it next week because it's just all amazing amazingly bizarre yeah if you look at the original image of tiffany I can't go too much into this. I got, I got to save some for next oh, week. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Save if, it, if, you, if you do look at the, the two images, though, it's amazing. The The original uh, video of Tiffany getting the shot and then and then knocking over, she's very skinny. She's got a different part. She's got a different hair color entirely, different skin tone. She's very pale, bright blue eyes. This gal is at least 15, 20 pounds heavier, rounder face, different hair color, different eyes, different forehead, different part. So it's just, it's very bizarre. The whole thing. It's the only word I can use to describe it. These international women of mystery. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. I love it. Well played. Good work. Well, thank. Thanks. Thanks for tagging along. <laughs> Uh, and thank you to my resource. You know who you are for providing me with that wonderful background information. It's nice when you get some real concrete shit to work with, and then you can really roll, oh, roll yeah. into the woods. Well, let's, uh, let's roll into some scream mails here and then, uh, we'll take our intermission. Let's do it. Uh, if you want to give us a call, you can do that at 612 263 Seven nine nine nine, my friends. And here's first caller. <laughs> Thank you. Have a great day. Aw, that you was two caller. That had some like real projectile force to it. I love it. It's like it had a very high resonance, which was nice. It breaks the barrier. Yeah. Yeah. The phone was, like, wondering what to do with it. <laughs> Phone's wondering what to do with this next one. Hello, Booberry and Lavish. I called to give you a scream, so here goes Ag. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know the, uh, I just want to hear the last part of that. Let's see here. Give <laughs> you a scream, so here goes Ag. Ag. Uh, uh, computer, computer, computer. <laughs> um, let's do. We got one more. One more. Let's do one more. Oh, a little ram jam there in the background. I hear that, Black Betty. I see you. Okay, boys, thanks for accompanying me on the drive home. Have a good day. No, you're welcome, caller. Thank you, caller. It was a pleasure. Just tagging along. Our treats. Yeah. You can always have the schemers in the car with you if you just call. 612-263-7999, and we'll accompany you on any commute. Yeah, I think we'll save some uh, screen mails for the second, second half, but we did have Oh, a, please do. Had a, Can't blow our load yet, boobs. Uh, have a new uh, text message come through, because you can do the same thing. You can text that number, 612-263-7999, and uh, Texter said, your brain is sexy. Oh shit, that's really nice. I know. Here, all he even sent a picture to go along with it. Oh, uh, see the pick. Hot picks. Hot picks coming down the pipeline, spitting at you like it's your lifeline. <laughs> there you go. Ooh, that's some crotchless panties right there. And then uh, he also had a link. He said uh, it's a Huffington Post uh, from 2017. Link says, girl pulls sword from legendary lake of King Arthur's Excalibur. Oh, nice. They found it? Uh, I mean, if you take a look at the uh, the images here. Um, I was kind of poking. Oh, wow. <laughs> look at that. I was poking through this, and uh, they ended up believing it was a like an old movie prop. Um, I don't know, man. I don't know. 
There has to be people that go to that lake and just throw swords in there. <laughs> what if she pulled out an RPG or something? Ooh, there we go. Yeah, yeah. I'll pull out a, a Sam. <laughs> Look what I found. <laughs> we can come out with a tank. It's in, it's in perfect working order. Oh, I, mm. I I think it's a you know it's badass though. I I couldn't imagine being fucking that young and finding a sword in the lake. Oh, that'd be sick. I bet you that thing weighs like as much as she does. Uh, that's cool. That's a that's a badass. It looks like a fucking claymore. It's a big big boy. It's a big fucking boy. That's oh. a big boy. Oh, look at the size of that hilt! Wow. Well. I like, think like, we all know what this. Oh, sorry. The careful craftsmanship. Oh. I love the little cleave part at the bottom there, so that you know if you if you get a guy high up, you know the the you just carve out half of his head right there with just that little bit of spiky metal, and then you got the whole force of the blade coming down on it. I mean, that's just that's just good clean killing. I'll tell you right now. Just two warm scoops of vanilla, just right out. <laughs> uh, well, congratulations to the new Queen of England. Uh, we look forward to your career with great interest. Yeah. It's going to be great. Very excited. England. Um, I had to go back through the archives uh, of intermission cassettes. Uh, I, I rolled the die to determine a number. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so we're doing a little bit of a throwback. We're going to go back to episode 104, Missionary, where eye contact is prominent. I believe mm-hmm. is the title of that one. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, this is actually one of your intermissions. So here we go. Oh, my goodness. It's my. Oh, you, you reverse unoed me. I know. All right. We'll be right back. So I uh, I figured it out. My hot dogs come in packages of 10 and hot dog buns come in packages of 8. See, the thing is that life doesn't always work out according to plan. So be happy with what you got. So you can always get a hot dog.
now return to Behind the Schemes. Starring Booberry, 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 and lavish, 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 lavish. Welcome back to second, second half of show for episode one forty eight of Behind the Schemes. Episode one forty eight. We're going to be on one fifty here pretty soon. It'll be three years of scheming, my friends. Getting behind them. Uh, it is currently April seventeenth, twenty twenty three, and it is nine forty two p.m. on the Breft Coast, which means it's ten forty two Mount Me, eleven forty two Central, and midnight forty two over on the Beast Coast. Mount me, Pretty mount, wild. Me, mount me, mount me, mount me, mount me, time. Yeah. Rocky, Rocky Mount Me High, Colorado. I'm going to, I'm going to call it the Mount Me Time people though, because everybody who seems to complain about it is really only 15 to a half hour away from the West Coast time. So, <laughs> uh, well, this is yeah. part, part of the show where we like to thank all the people that came out and helped produce this week's episode of Behind the Schemes, and uh, we have a couple of people that uh, we got to shout out here. Indeed, we are a value-for-value value program, which means we don't have ads or reads or corporate sponsorship. We can talk about whatever we want, CIA, spookage, or otherwise, and these are the folks that appreciate that sort of thing and have shown up. We like to thank them every show, Freaks of Hazards. And we had a new monthly po- uh, PayPal donator, donator, donor come through. A donor. It's a familiar name though that we all know and love. Uh, for for six dollars a month, we have C Brooklyn one twelve. C Brook, C Brook. Yeah, he knows. He gets it. Yeah. Thank you, sir. Yes, he says, gents. Until I find an ultimate podcast app to boost. I set up a $6 monthly PayPal dono from your boy, Seabrooklyn112. Great show, great content, Seabrooklyn112. And there was a goat emoji in the email, but Substack didn't uh, didn't transfer it over, which, after listening to this past week's No Agenda, we might want to get cooking a little faster with the migration off of Substack. Well, yeah, that's something we I've always been talking about. We gotta... I gotta... We gotta figure out how to set up our own server. <laughs> yeah, server was um, showing me something over the weekend. I didn't, I didn't get a chance to get too deep into it. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I want to say it's probably got a little higher uh, priority now. I uh, I missed last the last no agenda, so I'm not sure. Um, well, they usually harp on Substack though. It was this was a clip of the uh CEO getting interviewed and it was discussing misinformation and hateful speech uh being being perpetrated on its platform. Oh no. I know. Um well that's that's part of the course. I'm seeing real quick if I can find it in their show notes real quick because it's so important to have your sources listed, people. Uh, oh, here we go. Uh, Nile Patel, Badger's Substack, CEO, Chris Best about racism. Are you ready for this one? Sure. Yeah, I just want to be clear. If somebody shows up on Substack and says all brown people are animals and they shouldn't be allowed in America, you're going to censor that. So we do have a term to service that, that you know, have narrowly prescribed... Uh, you know, things that are not allowed. There's, there are extreme cases, right? And I'm not going to get into like the. Wait, hold on. Is, in America in 2023, that? that is not so extreme, 
right? We should not allow as many brown people in the country. Not so extreme. Do you allow that on Substack? Would you allow that on Substack notes? Would you do it? Would I think you do the, it? Like, the way that we think about this is we want to put the writers and the readers in charge. No, I, I really right. want you to answer that question. <laughs> I'm not going to get into gotcha <laughs> content moderation. This is not a gotcha. I'm a brown person. Do you think people on Substack <laughs> should say I should get kicked out of the country? I'm not going to engage in you know, content moderation. Would you or want you this or that? Content Why? moderation questions. But it's the thing that you have to do. Oh, my goodness. Hard-hitting questions from a hard-hitting journalist, as always. Yeah. You should just uh, go ahead and bypass that bullet and fucking host it yourself. Yep. Yep. Well, we're going to look into that. <sighs> um, Dag also uh, gifted me a, a Vigi game. I, I only had a half of an evening to check it out, but it was Killing Floor 2. Mm. Is it a first-person shooter? Uh, first or third person. It's a it's a level based sort of COD zombies meets Left for Dead meets some RPG elements. From what I understand, there's leveling ups, different classes, uh, weapon upgrades, things of that nature. That sounds fun. Did, did you guys? Did, is it like a co op thing or yes, is it a solo deal? Yes. Okay, cool. And we're uh, I we're going to get up and play. I just haven't had a chance. <laughs> Soon, oh, yeah. though. Soon. Well, we're busy. Uh, yeah, we're trying to sneak in this D&D campaign, too, eventually. Uh, right? Yeah. Dude. Right? Ugh. Wow! Um, these are all ISOs that uh, Dag shot over. That's bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brother. Oh, these are fucking classic. Fuck. <laughs> Dirty. Yeah, well, no. <laughs> <laughs> wow whoa yeah <laughs> nice those are good ones yeah dude fucking these are killer and he's got he has them all labeled fucking gorgeously it's awesome oh christmas tree thank you dag thank you so much man and there was uh there was a little uh booze basket from sir spencer he sent over some of the isos we got a little jingle for that <laughs> we don't have a jingle good little jingle for that uh but soon is it real uh, no it's just a big fat joke <laughs> put the money in the bag bitch <laughs> nice weirdo alert <laughs> so good and then uh, uh this was included in there abel kirby would know <gasps> he would though Yes. So is that uh, Junta? Uh, it was Cotton Gin. Oh, oh, sorry, Cotton Gin. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> nice. I've never done Beautiful. a podcast, P. I'd do one. <laughs> sure about that? I'm peeing right now. <laughs> um, and then last, uh, I'll be sure to have these added in post. Uh, I have a little package from you. Oh, think, yeah. I think this would be the appropriate time to crack it open. Yeah, crack can, it open. Can you hear it? Uh, yeah, it's, yeah. It's the nice uh, plastic wrapper of the 1991 uh, 12 full color cards of the WCW World Championship Wrestling official trading cards. Official. These have not been opened uh, since they were released. They smell of wax and, and antique stores, I would imagine. Uh, the, the note specifically said, take in that antique store scent, dash L. Mm. I 
can smell it. I can smell the must. Just the oh, memories. So and we have uh, we are, we are seeing the first uh, uh, appearances of the cards, ladies and gentlemen. Oh uh, boy! Oh boy! A yellow uh, border. Uh, we are now removing the full stack of twelve cards from the package. There we go. You can hear the cards there. Mm. Uh, Fresh cards. And first we have Flying Brian. Height six feet, weight two hundred and twenty six pounds from Cincinnati, Ohio. The former pro football star and U.S. tag team t- champion has just been cleared for takeoff and is about to dispense a dose of reality to an unlucky opponent. It's Brian's all uh, all American looks and acrobatic prowess that making him an all time crowd pleaser. We got, mm. we got MF Doom. <laughs> MF Doom, uh, aka Ron Simmons. And uh, Butch Reed, Tag Team Dio, it's sleepy time for Blondie as the dreaded duo Doom literally puts the finishing touches on their poor foe. Every time Simmons and Reed enter the arena, they are bound to be a couple of wrestlers close by, wondering why didn't they listen to their mothers and become dentists. (laughs) (laughs) I've heard that's where all the hot dental hygienists are. Mm, That's where the money and the titties are. We got El Gigante. Height, seven feet, seven inches. Oh, my God. Big boy. Uh, this is one man you don't want to anger. Towering above everyone in most things, El Gigante has a uh, definitive advantage over any op- opponent he meets in the squared circle. Like er- Liked by everyone who meets him, El Gigante is a lovable giant waiting for a chance to dismember the four horsemen. <laughs> Hell, yeah. Hell, yeah. Terry Taylor. We got uh, Arn Anderson, the enforcer of the four horsemen, just ran into something akin to the irresistible force, meaning the imp- immovable object. Terry Taylor. Terry is one of the hottest, fastest rising stars in wrestling who believes the best way to tame a horseman is with a little rope. Oh, my. Oh, my. <laughs> yeah. We're going to give him a, a whip for that one. Oh, you got it. Hoa. Uh, Steiner Brothers. Um, when you watch Scott Steiner in the ring, you get a good feeling what it must have been like to be a gladiator centuries ago. Here's the former col- uh, college, oh, collegiate all-American wrestler soaks up another victory uh, as his not-so-lucky opponent is kept busy by doing interior eyelid inspection. Oh, he must have knocked out a motherfucker. We got Ricky Morton in here, nice. Sid Vicious, Doom again, Tommy Rich, Dutch Mantel, Fabulous Freebirds, Lex Luger. Lex Luger, you got two dooms. Yeah, nice. Let's see, I got I got one where he's getting ready to fucking suplex some motherfucker, number one forty, and the other one was one, number one forty six. I gotta get some lights on in here. I'll take a picture of these, drop them in the green room. Yeah, yeah, share them with the people. Oh well, thank you for the cards, man. I I've got a <laughs> quite a few of these packages uh, hanging out in my work box. I. The idea was to take furniture at some point and cover them in cards of like these. Oh, that'd be cool. I like that idea. It'd be funky. Yeah, man. Or uh, all over the wall or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I was I found that pack of cards in Bellingham. Uh, we've talked about before. I saw them and I was like, oh, there they are. That's I need to get those for boobs and a lot of a lot of great stuff. It was a great little spot. Uh, I. Fucking, I'm blanking on the name of it right now, but, uh, oh gosh, 
Absorbent. Yeah, I'm sorry I didn't think to open them last week. I, they actually showed up before last week's Monday. Or last Monday. No, it's all good. Yeah, I, I didn't know if they're going to make it to you at all. I'd never really send a pack of cards in an envelope before like that. But Penny Lane Antique Mall. The Penny Lane Antique Mall. Thank you, Private Browsing. Uh, yes. I love the Located name. in Bellingham, Washington. It's a great spot. Got you know a little bit of everything. Uh, it's very like reasonable, and then um, the basement is full of vinyl. <laughs> oh so my. you you spend all day long looking through like all this cool stuff, baseball cards, wrestling cards, antiques, and then you go downstairs, and you're like, oh, <laughs> we've only just begun. Beautiful. David Lee Ross solo album. This must be just like living in paradise. <laughs> oh, I thought these coast girls are hip. I really dig. I'm sensing a full David Lee Roth post-production night tonight. Mmm, fuck yeah. We're Diamond David and Hard tonight. Uh, it's in the air. I can taste it already. And we do this, or we're able to do that because this is a value for value production, meaning uh, there's no real uh, limits to what we can pull off. Yeah, I mean, people do more than financial contributions. I can tell us, I can tell you that. (laughs) Let me tell you what. You can tell us that too. People send articles, people send art, people send music, people send ideas, people, we have conversations. And that uh, often will spur on a topic. So it's all wonderful and it's all very much appreciated. And we love to take this time to thank everybody uh, for coming in. And of course, everybody who boosts as well. Uh, you can come through the PayPal with your American dollar ruse, but you can also go through the, the future, future of mm-hmm. money. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. And yeah. uh, I just want to give special thanks to Sir Spencer for hanging out on the phone with me last night while we got my node rectified. It ended up going down for uh, a couple of days there. Mm-hmm. Um, something burn out? Uh, yeah, just kind of, you know, something got a little dusty or whatever, and it just needed a new um, install of the of the software on an SD card. Also, those picture, pictures are coming in the chat right now. Okay, you got pictures of the cards. Oh, nice. Uh, but when we go back and and look at this week's boost, um, did we get Clip Custodian coming through for for the uh when for one hundred and eleven thousand uh one hundred and eleven sats? I we got that on the last. Sorry, I was kidding. We got that on the last, uh, like second of last week's show, and I mentioned it in my sign off. Nice. So I, I, I snuck it in at the last second, at the last possible second. Very cool. Well, thank you again, Clip Custodian. Yeah, thank you as always, Clip Custodian, and for calling as well. A legend. Indeed, if you listen to No Agenda, you have heard the work of this man. Uh, let's see what we had come through next. Um, cause I know that we missed a couple. Um, 
with the node being down, and I don't want to negate those. Uh, but we had 200 sats come through from Jeremy73 through Fountain saying, liked the show. Liked the show. Well, thank you. We like that you like the show. <laughs> I like that you like that you like the show. Uh, we had uh, 420 sats from Sir Spencer through Fountain saying, test, test, testicle. Ah, uh, thank you, Spencer. We had... Cutie pie. Uh... A JJ boost from Bully Steed seven days ago for sixteen fifty. Sixteen fifty, a little Jim Jones love. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Bully Steed, Boosty Steed, Dame B. Yeah, all about that flavor aid. Yeah, flavor aid. Oh, uh, they had a clip about Kool Aid in the MK Ultra thing that I cut out because I shouldn't have though. It's so funny. Ah, <laughs> uh, Kool Aid and flavor aid. Jesus Christ! I drink it every day. And now they'd be like, oh, we spiked your naked fruit smoothie with acid. Ha! Uh, oh. Who was that? Who did that? Oh, no. Is it? Could it be? It's Pizzar? Could it be Mwah. the boogeyman himself? We got one. <laughs> we got a little teaser. We got a little taster. <laughs> I just, I don't, I, you know, I'm, I... I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sit on it. Just, yeah, yeah. Hand on the, hand on the, at the ready. Uh, there was a new name that came through. I'm sitting here. I'm actually looking through Saturn.fly.dev and, um, Johnny Reb boosted 77,133 sats saying butterfly roasties get all the attention. (laughs) (laughs) Johnny Reb. Johnny Reb, that's a great fucking name, dude. Absolutely. Oh, that's Daojin. Oh, that's Daojin. <laughs> Mr. Do, thank you, sir. Thank you. Him and Nam do a show every Tuesday. You can check it out on the No Agenda stream or at mmo.show slash live. The, the Millennial Media Offensive. That's right. Uh, fantastic media deconstruction, all from the... Uh, the the perspective of a millennial, you see. I love you guys. Yeah, yeah. You can check him out tomorrow. Uh, this being Monday, you can check him out on Tuesday, every Tuesday. Five thirty uh, central. The and Nam. Yeah, five thirty central. Yeah. Uh, we had three 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 from uh three hundred thirty three sets from user eight two eight three seven two four one eight four zero four two four three six saying Robo Slick Nas. Save the moths. <laughs> Save the moths. Uh oh. Uh oh. It is time. Time for the slaughter. It smelled like goat meat. You know, I've had bad goat meat. Goat meat's delicious, by the way. I can feel the fucking evil. And I'll fight you. These goats don't stand a chance. You come for me. is 
smells like goat is generally not a good product. Congratulations! You're dead. Your blood dead. has been You're spilled dead. this night. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> Video game. I don't, even, I don't even know what's going on sometimes. Uh, life is a. Uh, uh. I want to have fun. Yeah. <laughs> I want to fill your hole with my fun. Oh! Okay. Oh! Hell yeah! Headshot! 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 I've labeled that one Suspense 7 Slept with Cousin on Accident ISO. <laughs> Appropriate. Appropriate. Oh, I don't want to lose my place in the Saturn uh, page. So, uh, Pizar, we will tally these up here very, very soon. Um, we had Johnny Reb coming through again saying the MMO show is actively drafting mommy milkers to the offensive. John G. Do hashtag OTO. Oh, yeah, OTO, C U L T. What's up, what's up? That was 77,118 sats. Uh, (laughs) Got him. (laughs) Fucking slaughtered him. People are trying to get in on this goat action. Bodies are piling up. With the hammer, too. Just that. I mean, that that's what really sends the spray everywhere. Yeah, you've, that's really sending the message to the goat. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. Uh, so mm, just, anybody else wants to smash a goat? That's 66, 66 sets via a podcasting 2.0 compliant app. Yes. And I think we're actually on to tonight's boost that we're coming through. Uh, we had delicious. We had Dag coming through for thirty three, thirty three, saying, "Suck my tongue, <laughs> suck my tongue, suck it, suck it, suck it, suck it, suck it." <laughs> um, which of course is in re- reference to tonight's absolutely scandalous show arts. Scandalous. It was. It was. Uh, you you were not going to find an uncensored version on YouTube. I can tell you that much. Yeah, I, gosh, when I stumbled upon it, it was like, it was before, it was, it kind of spilled out everywhere and became really big. It came a lot bigger than I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. But, uh, it's so fucking funny and disturbing. How could it not be? The immortal and reverend Dalai Lama getting some poor Indian boy to suck his tongue <laughs> or trying in vain. You get cold shouldered. <sighs> Maybe but next time. he's beyond he's beyond earthly pleasures, so it's cool. It's fine. Uh we had thirteen fifty seven from Bully Steed saying, I tell you what fuck are you. Oh no. Fuck are you which was in direct reference to the pre show playlist that I had cobbled together, which was all songs about how you could go fuck yourself. Mmm. A tale as old as time, really. It's the oldest tell. Cain and Abel, come on. God, Eve, come on. <laughs> Go fuck yourself. <laughs> Go fuck yourself. It's the foundation of society. 
you know, fucking God's telling Eve, go fuck yourself. Eve's like, nah, God, go fuck yourself. Serpents in the garden, like, nah, fuck all y'all motherfuckers. Like, you be like, hey, I'll trade you this goat for that barley. Nah, go fuck yourself. Just make some beer and trade it to me later. Ah, go fuck yourself. It's my beer. Okay, well, now I'm you know, going to build a pyramid and so on and so on. Yeah. Uh, forty-four, forty-four. That was make heroism removing the head of um of a cadaver. Mm. Where did we get that? That cadaver came out of nowhere. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> oh, Johnny Reb wanted to get a little I'm action. Sorry. Hell yeah! <laughs> Thank you, Dehaugen, for slaughtering the goat. Why the goat not? Mwah. That's a great boost, ISO. Mwah. Mwah. And the lovely Lorian didn't even realize that was her until just now. That was, that's Carolyn. Wait, I that know. was Lorian. Nah, I know. I know. What? I, but, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's Carolyn for sure. Right. Oh, goodness. I, I, I'm getting all twisted. I thought it was Carolyn and then, and then it's Lorian and now it's Carolyn again. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. Oh, 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 yeah, there you go. You come for me. <laughs> <laughs> Winning. Can I win any harder? Always. You can I always can't win no harder. Uh, we got 15,000 sets from Mary Kate Ultra through Bounce and saying King of the Circle Jerks. Well, <laughs> you and me both. Holy shit. Yeah, you, me, you. <laughs> Me, you, me, you, me. Teamwork for my friends. Teamwork makes the cream work. I'm fucking skiing, motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a skiing with myself. Slopes for days. Oh my. Oh, oh my. Uh, King of the circle jerks. Thank you, uh, Mary Kate Ultra. You're wonderful. Yes, and very soon here, um, I'm gonna make that a number, a number one priority for this week. I gotta make sure everything's tested for the website. And then, uh, for episode 150, uh, the BTS enamel pins will be ready to rock and roll. Indeed, uh, it should be exciting. I've been rocking my pin lately. I'm it's a fucking great pin. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I find that it blends perfectly with the same Hawaiian shirt that I wore to the horror con. Oh yeah. Where we met William Forsyth and Tom Arnold among many others. It just fucking is effortless. It's like it was made to be part of that shirt. Uh, we had 1476 from Pfeiffer saying best show ever. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, though. (laughs) Abel Kirby would know. (laughs) Hell yeah. Thank you, Fiverr. We appreciate that. You can check him out with Rusty and his cousin Dusty Apples every Sunday morning on the No Agenda stream, hanging out in the grass for the two-hour folk hour. That's right. The two-hour folk hour. Uh, for me, that comes on at a cool 7 a.m. on Sunday morning, and I, if I'm up that early, I tune in. It's fantastic. They got some great stuff in there. I'm just at the point where I should just stay up and catch that <laughs> and then go to sleep for no agenda. <laughs> well, we were we were joking. So I in in the green room, hashtag green room, which by the way is our chat room. If you oh, yeah. uh, are unfamiliar, 
uh, it was Dag and Aesthetics. They were chatting and they were talking about uh, electronic music. And they had a really, really cool discussion about electronic music. And at the end of it, they were joking about how they were going to make a two hour, you know, I don't know, drum and bass hour before the two hour folk hour. Oh my so God. Now I have to get up at 5 a.m. on Sunday. So now I really don't need to sleep on Saturdays. Dude. I just, just stay right up on through. I, I hope. I hope something comes of this because that I, I think that's really awesome to have three pre-shows follow one show. But then it makes <laughs> me curious, like how far could we like take it back? I mean, even if we just did it one time, I think that would the, be funny. The, I think so too. To have just a, a slew of shows leading up to it, maybe for maybe for a big show, maybe another big uh, I don't know sixteen hundred or something. Mm-hmm. Do that. But we're almost doing that now. I don't know if you're familiar, anybody who's listening. I know you're familiar, Booberry, but the No Agenda Stream hosts a myriad of live shows that happen uh, throughout the day, seven days a week. And we've been filling up that roster quite a bit. Plenty of live shows around here. Yeah. And um, I've got a, another harebrained scheme for some time in the future. I'm thinking a live concert with multiple bands, all remotes on the no agenda stream. That would be cool. If we could make that work, that would be awesome. There, there would be loads of, uh, loads of prep need to be done. Every band would have to be able to have all the gear and all the stuff to, to uh, broadcast themselves appropriately. If we just found two or three bands that could do that, that'd be just fine. Mm-hmm. Oh, Bully Seed points out a fabulous point. Uh, this coming Thursday on oh. 420, um, get your bodies ready because mine is not. Oh, me neither. Uh, it's going to be another bowl after bowl, bowls with buds featuring none other than the phenomenal Make Heroism and Mary Kate Ultra. I don't have a, I don't have an air horn, but I hope you do have a magical day. Air horn, air horn, air horn. I, wow. Bulls with buds featuring Mary Kate Ultra and make heroism. Uh, they are wonderful. They make pins. They made our phone jingle. They, they made our store, the shirts. Mm-hmm. I'm wearing a shirt right now. Yep. The threadless shop. We got coasters and, and uh, encyclopedias of the supernatural. <laughs> oh my god, it was on and on. It's beautiful. I uh, can't wait to check that out. Yeah, that's Bulls with Buds uh, with Sir Spencer and Delorean, which Bull after Bull is, is live every Tuesday night. Uh, but this Bulls with Buds is going to be on four twenty. Yeah, you'll have to remind me of the time, Spencer. I think it's eight o'clock, or it could be nine o'clock, or I could mm. just let me see. I'm going to go to Podverse. I'm going to click on their little live streams page. I'm scrolling down and I'm seeing uh, that's the Tuesday. The Mary Kate Ultra Make Heroism Bowls with Buds, April 20th, 2023, 8 o'clock p.m. Central. All right, all right, all right. That's it. That's the way that cookie crumbles. That's awesome. Super looking forward to that. Uh, <laughs> nice. Come on, Spencer. The feed is the source of truth. <laughs> <laughs> the, 
The feed is the mirror upon which you stare. Mmm, I like that. That's like the... You did what with the nuclear codes? Um... Captain Oblivious just came in and said that he got his shirts. What's oh, up? Shit. Fucking karma in the chat for my boy Captain. I gotta get me a new t-shirt here pretty soon. Oh, yeah. I got a couple. I got a, a ringer. So sweet. Oh, I, I think I'm I think I'm filling the bro tank. Oh, yeah. Bro tank. Bro tank. I've been rocking just things are warming up. I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm just fucking tank top this shit. I just like a super like grungy undershirt type you know yeah yeah I, I my whole summer i lived on bts bro tanks my whole road trip it's all i wore bts bro tanks I'm, i might have to get myself adjusted man i might have to get on the level oh well yeah you gotta wait for the for it to get warm and stuff but once it is you're in it fucking snowed again this weekend <laughs> yeah fucking <laughs> crazy shit wild um, let's see here. We had 9,001 sats from Pfeiffer saying it's over 9,000. Oh, what's up, Pfeiffer? 9,000 over 9,000. Uh, these are all through Fountain. And I think one of the reasons is that these crazy bastards are trying to, uh, propel us up in the charts. And I, that's awesome. I, I think it's, I, I, I do look forward to seeing live in Fountain and, uh, you know, it just, it'll, it'll be, come. It'll be cool to have. And it's, it's really wonderful seeing not just us, but, uh, bowl after bowl and millennial media offensive and, uh, all kinds of shows that hog are story. constantly hog story. Uh, they're constantly in the top 10 fountain charts. It's really, really cool to be up there with, you know, no agenda and all of those, uh, Bitcoin shows. I think that's the one that still intrigues me more is just how many Bitcoin centric shows there are. I I think that there's a lot of uh, audience there and I think there's a lot of money there. I think that all the, the millionaire B BTC bros listen to those shows and, and uh, contribute to them, you know, in big ways. That's where you see the big boost, you know, 200, 300,000 sats plus. So, yeah. Bitcoin. It's a big world out there. Um, wow. And then we come to the slaughter. To this. Oh, one more thing before the slaughter. Oh, I'm sorry. I did skip too many. Yes. I skipped. Oh, did you skip one? Okay. I I did want to mention, even though I don't know if, yeah, I'm sure he's all right. Talked to Sir Candidavian the other day. Ah, yes. And he is going to be a guest on a show as well. His first. Uh, I, I'm afraid I, don't remember exactly which show he's going on. Is it abs? It's not abs. It's not, it's not a show. You know, it's not one of our shows in our sphere. It's something else. And I, it's just on the tip of my tongue, but uh, I'm sure that if he's hearing this, he'll promote it. I asked him to promote it, but uh, I'm also looking forward to hearing him on a show as well. So keep an eye out for whenever he promotes that. Yes. Keep us posted. We'll uh, share the shit out of it. Yeah. Uh, onward with the boosts. We had 7777 from Bully Seed through Fountain saying, Woo, go. That's the David Lee Roth boost. Woo. Running with the devil. Uh, Diamond Davin. 
And then 2874 from Bully C through Fountain saying W-O-M, Women of Mystery. Women of Mystery. Behold. <laughs> Behold my field of women of mystery. For it's this is where I'd, <laughs> this is where I'd keep my women of mystery. If I had any. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Sixty six, sixty six from Pizar through Fountain saying, "Is this thing on?" Apparently, it wasn't for a minute there. That was through Fountain at first, right? <laughs> yes. And then one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, uh, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. Oh my God, fourteen, fourteen, fourteen goats. Mmm, a King Baker's dozen. I just, because he went the extra, extra step. And, you know, for Sir Spencer saying FOMO goats, for Johnny Reb saying why the goat not, both through Fountain, for a total of 16, uh, 16 dead goats, I'm just, I'm going to have to hit you with a tally. You're dead. Your friends are dead. Your family's dead. Your fucking pets are being skinned alive. Your mom's a fucking whore. You suck at life. The whole world hates you. You're going to hell. Live with it. Game over. Congratulations! <laughs> wow! Wow. <sighs> it's fun, podcasting 2.0. You can always go over to nudepodcastapps.com, check out... Uh, something that's not Apple or Spotify or literally, uh, literally like Google. Okay. Like literally. Come on, people. Come on. Come on, guy. It's 2023. Get a new podcast app. You go to podcastapps.com, newpodcastapps.com, nudepodcastapps.com. It all works. Yep. And there's lots of stuff like chapters, transcripts, uh, all sorts of cool stuff that you just won't get listening uh, through Spotify. And we put <laughs> we put a fuck ton of work into it, I might add. Yeah, maybe even two fuck tons. <laughs> two metric fuck tons. Two metric fuck tons for your fucking pleasure. No paywall, no nothing. Uh, Straight to the gill. Now, while I write down two metric ton- uh, fuck tons... <laughs> Fuck tons. Um, what's your liquor situation? I've got my liquor situation squared away, sir. I heard that we're doing a shot for second, second half of the show. Yes, I, I believe. I think. Uh, I believe this is true. And uh, I have in my possession a bottle of uh, Kentucky bourbon. Ooh, a bottle. That's right, straight whiskey bottle. I have. Uh, this is an Irish whiskey in a mason jar glass. Mmm. Nice. So nice. I'm not gonna have a I'm not gonna have a quote unquote measured pour, so we're just gonna kinda eyeball it. Alright, okay. I've got mine poured in the shot glass here. But uh, I just wanna I just wanna toast all the freaks. To all the freaks, uh hope everybody had a good Easter and hope everybody has a good spring coming. Cheers. And to you, Booberry, congratulations on uh the the set and the lighting and, and on opening. Oh, thank you, man. It's uh, it's been a process, and god damn it, we have claimed the fuck out of it. Fuck yeah, fuck yeah, toast. <laughs> Fucking awesome, yeah. Oh yeah. 
1.14 liters of Ballantine. Is that a, is that scotch? Ballantine? Ballantine. Just, just to confirm. Ballantine. Scotch, single malt. That was a mason jar. Oh, nice. Cool. Oh, no, I bully Steve. Thank you as always, my dear. Yes. Good night, bully Steve. Um, let's see here. Um, well, I think that uh, brings us into the next part of the show. And it's a little bit of a departure. Well, first, right out the gate, I just, I want to, um, I just really want to highlight how much I pr- appreciate you as a co-host on this show. We come prepared. You've got all your ducks in the row. All the clips are consistently leveled. Uh, they're it's perfect. This show would not be what it is if it was not for you. Well, thank you. That's very kind of you to say. Uh, thank you, Mister Booberry. I appreciate it. Hell yeah! I I try to match you know you're a hardworking guy and I. I try to try to be uh, reliable and, and and in the pocket, you know. Hell yeah! And don't want you to have to worry about me. Um, what I have prepared for tonight is a little bit of a departure. Uh, one can almost deem it slightly contentious because I've got a serious bone to pick with a dumb oh? motherfucker who has no goddamn idea what the fuck he is talking about. And I love Joe of the OBDM podcast, but I've got serious issues with uh, <laughs> with some material that he decided to bring to uh, this past week's episode of OBDM. And just to to catch up, everybody, I'm really like I'm not going to spend nearly any time on the actual rant because I think the clips that I have fucking prepared for tonight will do the work for me. But just, I'm looking forward to this. But just to catch everybody up, uh, two weeks ago, I called into their Saturday show to discuss this idea that there's there's tr- blue haired trans people coming to your house to kill you. Okay, I don't know if you're aware of this or not. Oh, I know. Trust me, there's a lot of them around here. And I just I take issue with that because for the longest time. What did we hear? You got Nazis under your bed. There's fucking KKK trying to kick down your door. It was incessant. The unvaccinated yep. are coming to kill your ass. And I just, I don't fall for these bullshit fucking fear mongering tactics. Um, Where they make you the enemy just for disagreeing with them. Yeah. I just, you're a murderer. And I think the, the, the real point of contention that it came to between Joe and myself is that my personal philosophy is that the things that you put intention into grow, whether that's good or bad, whether you mm-hmm. sit there and fucking worry about goddamn fucking um, Nazis crawling out from underneath your bed at night or whether you're you know worried that uh, just pick something, whatever you put into the fucking universe, it comes back to you. Mm-hmm. It's the mm-hmm. law of attraction. It's a manifestation. Now, I have some uh, I have some clips to kind of just provide a little bit of context to the the arguments that, that continued um, without me being on this past week's episode, and I I just I I I think that's kind of a a low thing to do if you're going to push back on somebody and not have them there present, like fucking invite them back on or something, or you know 
come to the fucking green room or something, anything. So I guess I'm just going to apply the come to uh, my door, come to my fucking door. Um, we're going to, we're going to play two clips from this past week just to provide the context. And then I'm actually going to kind of wrap up my rant there. I'm going to sum it up with my actions will bellow over your empty rants. The virtue signaling doesn't fucking fool me. Okay. So here's, here's the, here's the clips. <laughs> I was just saying that, uh, and, and I've been trying to make these connections for people because I feel like I don't make them often enough, but the idea that, you know, some cities in some countries around the world can't, you know, there are people in those cities that can't sleep at night. They're losing family members. You know, bombs are going off. There is no bed. You know, we're very fortunate in this country to be able to have these conversations about gender identity and whose tits are getting chopped off and all this stuff. It's so privileged, you know, the idea that white people are privileged more than the other when seriously there are people who cannot feed themselves, who die without eating for weeks or having water. And, you know, we're fortunate in these ways and we're having these things stripped away from us from people who like that Jurassic Park quote that I've brought up many times where, you know, you didn't have to earn the knowledge for yourself. They don't respect anything that got us here and they'll burn the whole goddamn thing down and they'll do it right in front of you. And I was saying that it is, yeah, you're going to have to push back because they will come for you eventually. And I said at one point something I probably I'm not the first person to say, but politics, you may not care about politics, but politics cares about you. you and that's the idea me. is that it's like, you may think, oh, okay, well, I'll just ignore it and walk away. And a lot of people my whole life have said, well, I don't care about politics. It's like, again, it cares about you. It's going to take your money. It's going to bomb those people who can't sleep at night. It's going to have these kids learning all this garbage and and learning to hate the country in which they have the privilege to chop their tits off and cry about it. And Boo Berry was like, well, just ignore it. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, there's a part of me that wishes we could. Oh, he just wishes. I wish it was the case. Uh, do you, have you ever heard me just be like, I ah, just ignore it? I've, <laughs> I've never. <laughs> I, I know you. I've come to know you pretty well over the past couple of years. And for you to say something like that is very out of character, I, I would say. So what he's specifically referencing is the scene that we uh, discussed with the Legit Bat podcast. It's the end of Merlin when Merlin turns away from the witch and it removes her power because uh, Merlin yes. realizes that it's this trying to you know combat this witch is what's giving her the power. Mm-hmm. And he realizes that, you know, even though it's bittersweet and there's been so much loss to turn around and redirect that focus is more powerful than what the witch can handle. But he doesn't, he doesn't, I suppose if you're watching the movie, literally it it just, oh, you know, he turns his back and walks away and just ignores her. And the, if, if that's the takeaway, I, I am grossly disappointed in myself for that being the takeaway because that's I, not the goddamn point of the clip at all. No, I, I, I think that there's two angles you could approach a problem and it's either like uh, a cavity where if you don't address it, then it's just going to get worse. In which case you do want to pay attention to it. But what you're talking about at the end of the Merlin clip, I think the way that I understood it was it's like with Trump, like if people oh. just forgot that Trump existed, then he would have no power. Or 
to be topical, how about the Bud Light situation? Oh, dude. Like, if if you don't want... Like, that's a, that's a situation where ignoring them actually does hurt them. Where, you know, if, if you're not going to go... And I'm not talking like buying Bud Light and then dumping it in the street for Instagram. That's not solving anything. What? Virtue signaling? <laughs> what? Buying the product anyway and giving your money to the corporation anyway to make a point? Like, no. I'm going to school you so hard. It's dumb. It's, it's like when it's like when the Beatles, them uh, burning the Beatles records. They wanted them to do that because people had to buy the records to burn them. It oh, didn't yeah. matter to them. It's, it ended up in their pocket anyway. And then you plaster that all over the newspaper uh, front pages, and everybody's like, oh, wow, they're burning records. I kind of want to go check this out. Oh, I want to go burn some records. Burning records sells, man. <laughs> yeah. These guys that get their pickup trucks and fill it up with Bud Light and go dump it somewhere. Like, you just bought all that. Why would you think so? In that in, in that instance, yes. If you just like me pretend that Bud Light doesn't exist, which is what I've always done because it's a terrible beer, then you know you're actually hurting them where it matters. Ignoring something can hurt it, but to to ignore a massive overlying problem, uh, the only way out is through type of problem. Then yeah, you want to address it. And I, I think that is a direction that both you and I take with this show is that we move through these problems of being on platforms where they can just say, no, you're not allowed to participate anymore. Um, you and your house and all your fucking friends, you're out of here. Get the fuck out of here. And it's been the case for what, eight years, nine years. Um, and it's not going away anytime fucking soon. Look back to the goddamn fucking Substack clip. Look at the reason why we're trying to fucking self host all that shit. Um, it does get more censored as the technology gets quote unquote better. The censorship gets worse. And here's, here's as far as the, you know, having to push back, what are the specific actions that you take on a daily basis where you even come close to being in a position to push back on anybody? Do you have regular interactions with people that identify as trans? You know, they, he discussed in the episode coming down the street and he saw two feminists wearing, uh, trans kids lives shirts matter. It's like, I almost, I almost wanted to say like, what the fuck? Give me a fucking break. Um, just show me, show me any sort of fucking actionable, uh, actionability. If that's even a word, I'm mm-hmm. making it up on the spot. Uh, but I'm going to continue on with this second clip because this is where I'm like, Ooh, okay. You're, you're not bringing fucking receipts. I want to get back into the silly thing, but I want to, I just want to reiterate that as much as I agree with Booberry's concept and the One. reason I bring up seasteading is because the very first seastead was successfully, uh, established, built and was being occupied by people I met off the coast of Thailand. And it was in sort of, it was outside any national water. So it was outside the boundary of any sort of sovereign territories law and i think that's like 12 miles off the the land yeah you can do anything out there out there yeah um so So they had built the seastead and the thai navy went in and tore the damn thing down and said it was a threat to their sovereignty and so this is one of the more extreme ways to say look i got solar power i've got water filtration i want you to leave me alone and they come for you it's the same thing and 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 you know, Booberry, it's like, as much as I want to agree with you, it's just like, just let these idiots do their idiot thing. You can't collect your own rainwater in Fulton County, Atlanta and filter it, even though it tests cleaner 
than the water coming through the tap that's filled with lip, lithium and fluoride and all that stuff. You can't. It's illegal because the city's going to get theirs. You literally cannot cut your own trees down in Fulton County, Do you live Georgia, there? <laughs> with, within Atlanta. So the idea that you can just turn your back on it, it's like, one, maybe you can do it with your decentralization focus and all this other stuff, which I think is the right way to go. But again, they're not going to leave you alone. You can't have parlor. You can't have gab. You can't have any of these things without them taking them. You see the issue that I have right there? It's like, oh, you know, as much as I agree with you with the decentralization stuff, it doesn't matter because they're still going to come and and take you down. They're going to come for your parlor centralized, gab centralized. Like, come the fuck on, man. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm going to continue. It's almost done. So Again, I get it, and I want to agree, and I'm 100% behind it. But at the same time, (laughs) my family doesn't know jack shit about how to – Hey, let's go build solar panels and go off grid. Like, hey, let's go to Dave and Buster's and play some video games. Okay. <laughs> Back up, right? Like, they're still going to try to get your kids molested wherever they can. So let's, you know, one step at a time here. Anyway, let's listen to Bill Maher because it's, it's along oh, yeah. those same lines. Kid Love Productions, Bill Maher, right? Oh, everybody loves Bill Maher. Mm. So, I mean... I love OBDM. I love Joe. I love Mike. I love Cretched. Uh, they are in the holy trinity trifecta of what I would love this show to sound like as far as their just overall approach. It's phenomenal. Every Wednesday, every Saturday, well, Saturdays it's on the no agenda stream. Um, but mm-hmm. the, the peak of my current career, it really comes to light when I get lectured by a Gen Xer on Twitch. Like it does not get much better than this. So in the beginning of this clip, he's discussing C-setting, which is, I guess, the uh, if you follow the logic train back, if the folks invested in C-setting can't figure out this idea of sovereignty outside of nations, then I guess nobody can figure it out. I guess all hope is lost. Are you familiar with C-setting? Uh, the idea to set up somewhere in the middle of the ocean outside of any national jurisdiction? Yes. Yeah. I mean, uh, ship shipping kind of is, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. Maritime stuff has a very long history. People have been sailing boats for a long time and there kind of is a culture, a, a seafaring culture that is somewhat universal. And I, I would argue that, I mean, you're obviously trying to get land for yourself, something that's sovereign, something that you can claim and call your own. But it's not like people haven't tried to do that in the past. We brought up L. Ron Hubbard. L. Ron Hubbard was effectively able to run away from multiple governments for almost a decade just because he had a big boat. I'm actually, I'm, I'm so glad that you brought up L. Ron Hubbard. I'm going to play something out of order. This is, W5 Rare Interview, Investigating Scientology in 1973. (laughs) I signed what is a contract. I signed a contract for a billion years, one billion years. Now, uh, I worked on the average approximately 16 hours per day, seven days a week, for $9.60 a week. John McLean became part of the Scientology Sea Organization, or Sea Org, and served aboard Hubbard's ship. I I believed in Scientology and in the truth that I saw. Therefore, I was willing to do it. 
right up until I actually made my final decision to leave. This one billion year contract would appear to be, legally, an unconscionable document. The implication is that the signer will continue to serve the organization in future lives. Mm-hmm. Hubbard first came to public attention as a science fiction writer. Many of his policy directives and much of his philosophy seems to reflect that background. Hubbard himself claims to have ended his association with the World Organization and has said that he is simply loafing aboard this ship. A measure of the organization's wealth is the fact mm-hmm. that this converted cattle ship is just one of several Scientology yachts on station in various parts of the world. Yeah, it, it to a T, seasteading reminded me of Sea Org. Just the idea. Sea Org. Just yeah. running out on a boat, fucking hit the waters, let's go. Or uh, Ghislaine Maxwell's Terramar, where she'd go out in the middle of the ocean and build something somewhere. Underneath the ocean. Um, now, b- before we get into the actual um, seasteading clips that I have, because I'm just – I'm fairly unfamiliar with seasteading, but these clips just shouted out to me so loud, they really just speak for themselves. Um, before we move into those, though, I have a former Scientology member who is discussing the use of the word wog, I believe it's pronounced. Which is a derog. It's a derogatory term used by the Church of Scientology, and this this is a against who people against them, the other, the hostile against other. Anybody who isn't a Scientologist, yes, ah. and that's that's something that, and I'm I might fail, but this concept of just screaming out about the other that's in the woods, that unknown force that's coming to get you is a desired outcome. That is, that is what is needed to keep people divisive, to keep people at each other's throats. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's one reason, like it's one reason why I very rarely bring any stories that have to do with any of the, the transgendered arguments is that I cannot stand it in the realm that it is just so like you're fucking you're putting your foot one side of the line or another. And I'm just I am not about that fucking life. Mm-hmm. There's it's just it's Hegelian dialectic from top to bottom, both sides. Here is your problem. Here's your reaction. Here's your solution. Yep. Yep. Everything's self-contained. Pre-packaged. You fucking just roll it out. And the Overton window. Yeah. And I think that hostile other idea is it's been in full view. No one, no one's not missed it over the past fucking eight years. Anyways, um, check. Totally. I, I, I feel like the extremism is. On both sides, gotten so severe that you actually put it as my marker on Spook.Social as uh, I put myself as a radical moderate. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, man. I can, um, I got some Dean Reiner clips uh, I'm going to circle back with later. Uh, he's talking about this, this idea that, you know, in the zombie apocalypse, they're going to be smacking down both sides of your house, left, right, northwest, center, or center, fucking all sides. Yeah, yeah. The class warfare thing, I think, gets brushed over a lot. And 
I do give a lot of credence to No Agenda and just this idea of a of a Maoist sort of takeover or an, uh, the infestation of ideology. Uh, and I I have no solutions but to just fucking continue doing what we do in the guise of making sure that we're short up in our in our ability to produce and our ability to host. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's check out this uh, WOG clip. The Scientology view of the world is really one of uh, that. It's what they call aberrated or or insane to, to one degree or another. People are, you know, they wage war, they kill, they kill each other. There's tremendous violence, there's tremendous insanity. This is the world to a Scientologist. It's an insane place. It's a place where people do insane things. And, uh, and Scientology is a kind of a fortress of, of sanity in the midst of this, of this insane world. And, uh, and they really do promote this kind of a fortress mentality of it's us against them. It's the sane people against the insane people, the truth against the lies. And the more you're in, the more you get this dichotomy this black versus white you know we're the good guys we're the good good hats everybody out there is the bad guys they call it the wog world everybody out in the wog world is is insane is is violent is has their reactive mind going and so forth and and we are the the heroes in the white hats and we're riding in to save the planet and to 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 rescue all of these people yeah and that's very much the scientology worldview when did you first hear this this word wog? Uh, right away, when I when I first got into Scientology, I heard this word, and I'm like, "What is this wog?" And they say, "Well, that's that's a slang term for anybody who's not a Scientologist." You know, and this was used a lot. It was used by Hubbard, and uh, it, it's a derogatory term. It's part of this uh, mindset that they get you into this us versus them. It's the Scientologists versus the Wogs, the aberrated people, the insane people, you know. Uh, so you have the Scientology world, you have the Wog world. You have Scientology technology, and then you have Wog technology, which is like psychiatry and electric shock and drugs and all this sort of killing people. It's uh, Stanford. So it's, it's <laughs> how they get you into this black and white mentality, you know. Us versus them. Uh, it's it's the same. It is the playbook. Come on. It, it's a violent... You know what it is? I think the common denominator is a sense of humor. I think that if you can listen to uh, an idea that's against your worldview and not just completely melt down as a person... You might be well-adjusted. You might just be on the right side of things. But if, if, you, if you just are so violently repulsed by... Something to the point that you you dehumanize just right away at the name calling ad hominem, then you're not in the right. You're not doing. You're not critical thinking, and you're not being. You're being the exact thing that you are fighting against. Whenever you do that, and here's here's something I personally I attempt. It doesn't always happen. I am conscious of it. I try not to. Wog is what two letters removed away from woke. And it means the same thing. Mmm, I like that. So, if everybody's prepared to fucking get into Scientology tactics, go, uh, like, by all means, let's go. But 
let's just be fucking realistic about it. Okay. <laughs> Wogue. Well, I like it. I was spelling it W O G. I could be, it could be W W O G. Is, is Wog spelled W O G or W O G E? I'm not, I'm not sure. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Such control, much psyop. Yes, sir. Though. <laughs> Wog is W O G. Okay. Oh my God. What? You know what it stands for? What? Oh my God. It stands for Worthy Oriental Gentleman. Worthy Oriental Gentleman. <laughs> that is uh, disturbing. Oh, wow. Um, it's their way of saying, uh, you know, like, uh, what are the uh, Goyim? Oh, yeah. It's like saying Goyim, you know. Oh, or perhaps like this uh, 6969 sat boost that Sir Spencer sent through Fountain saying, holy shit, a tranny just flew over my house. <laughs> holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> Sir Spencer. My house too, my guy. My house too. Holy shit. A house just flew over my tranny. <laughs> <laughs> my house is leaking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. Scientology, you fucking disturbing thing. Yeah. So I'm, I'm leaving the Scientology where it's at. You know, it's on the table. It's out there. Check it out. Say what you will about it. I don't really give a fuck. Leave a, leave a review at Apple Podcasts if you got an issue with it. Um, leave a review at Yelp. Yeah. There you go. I'm yelping. Um, now we got to get back into the seasteading stuff. Uh, this is very new territory. Meanwhile, on the ocean. (laughs) Uh, I'm, you know, the ocean. I respect it. I dig it. Does a lot of stuff for us. It's not really my cup of tea. Like I'd rather be up in the mountains than on a boat on the ocean right. any day. I, I, I was going to ask if you don't mind. Have you? How much time have you spent on boats? Very little. Ah, very little. I was in the Florida Keys after we wrapped the bodyguard tour for like a, like a week, and that was probably the first time that I was on the ocean proper. We there's a. There's a little mini statue of Jesus that they dropped in the water down there. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> okay. And uh, we went and checked it out. I mean, it's like 25 feet down, I, th- I want to say, from the surface. So you can say with absolute certainty that he is not risen. <laughs> well. <laughs> uh, I was rising that to the surface. Nice. I couldn't breathe. Oh, uh, you know... It was cool, super clear water, lots of lots of fish swimming around, but just sucked down lungful after lungful of salt water because I'm a, a moron yeah, when it comes to swimming. You gotta <laughs> you gotta adjust. Yeah, that salt water does not fuck around. No, I was, I was fucking head over the side of the boat on the way back. <laughs> oh no! Yeah. Well, you got to do it. I mean, I I've spent a lot of time in the water. I grew up around the Delta area of the, the San Francisco Bay. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of like uh, just little aisles and river, r- little uh, river passages. And God, what is the fuck channels, little channels you can go through a lot of fishing. And I grew up not drinking salt water, but drinking, you know, blue algae and uh, fish guts and toxic waste, mm. which is also great, which explains your charming good looks. <laughs> I should be in the X Men. Yeah, <laughs> right. 
uh, and then spent a lot of time going to like Giants games and stuff too. So I, I've spent a good amount of time on boats. I'm pretty familiar with them. I, you and, know, I, I love looking at the water. I love looking. It's at fun, it. but you got to. There's definitely a hardening to it, an erecting, if you will. Mm-hmm. You have to. You have to really kind of buffer yourself against the elements. But that's how it is for everything. I mean, if you're used to the mountains, that's how it is. I would say I'm not so good with the mountains. Probably not as good as you are. Well, you got the high elevation, and you have the high ground. I have the high ground. You underestimate my power. Um. Well. You know, um, I think that's a that's a phenomenal point. I think some of the finest deeds in life across the board have been done under the guise of being underestimated. Oh, it's one of the best ways to win anything, and, and uh, I can I can personally attest to it. So, <laughs> me too. It's, it's fucking it's good shit. It's good shit. Let's um. You know, I, I really don't have much to say about these, uh, these seasteading clips. It's just going to be kind of a, we'll play them and tell me what you think. If I can go on, if you, uh, if you don't catch anything weird, but there is just, it's going to be bell after bell after bell. I can, I can almost assure you. Um, Ring a ding ding. Yeah. And who else better to start with than, uh, Glenn Beck back when he was on CNN, which I totally forgot about. Um, Here's uh, Glenn Beck talking to one of the founders of Seasteading. Back in the old days, if you didn't like the government, you know, you just move out over west. I mean, who's going to climb those mountains to follow you? You know what I mean? You just grab some land and call it your own and say, get off my land. And everything was pretty sweet. Now your options pretty much limited to becoming a citizen of a different country. I mean, I thought about the Bahamas and then I thought, eh. I mean, they're just going to be a citizen of the world soon, too. So the only other option is to start a revolution but that's so much work i mean ron paul's didn't work out well maybe he needed a few of these pitchforks i'm not sure but there may be a third option now the real story is the ocean yes people now are believe it or not so disenfranchised with our own government that they're taking to the seas it's called seasteading and the basic idea is to set up there it is a floating outpost in international waters and try out different kinds of political and social systems. Um, you know, it's kind of like a little floating city-state, which I think I saw in Waterworld. And I didn't like the ending of that movie. If you don't like your current platform policies, you know, you can just sail or swim over to a different one. Previous attempts at similar ocean utopias surprisingly have failed. But this one, led by the Seasteading Institute, has the financial backing of PayPal founder and Google engineer and a hedge fund principal. It costs only a mere few hundred million dollars to build a seastead for a few thousand people. But house prices are falling. The Institute expects a prototype who would have guessed it off of San Francisco Bay within two years. Did that pan out? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. I can't think of a worse place to put an offshore house. Oh, my God. Yeah. So this is this is a big push in decentralization backed by PayPal, backed by Google uh, backed by hedge funds. Now, granted, the PayPal and Google, you know, these are former employees, so it's probably totally altruistic. Probably. Most, uh, most it reminds me of when we did, I think it was 115, episode 115, uh, when we talked about 
underground billionaires and people building underground bases for themselves. Oh yeah. This is uh, a recurring theme with the elite. They are always trying to find creative new ways to separate themselves from the little people. One way is building underground and one way is building sky high. And one way apparently is getting out into the ocean. Let's, uh, let's continue on. We'll actually get to hear from, uh, Joe. What's his name? Lonsdale is the guy. Joe Lonsdale is the chairman Joe of the Lonsdale. Institute and principal at uh, Clarium Capital Management. Okay, John, who are these people? Because I have to tell you, part of me says, you're out of your mind, nuts. The other part says, John Galt. I'm looking for a place where I can just <laughs> be a capitalist and I can be left alone by the government. Who are these people that are doing this? Well, it's a, it's, you know, it's a combination of people, Glenn. It's uh it's a, you know, a few of us are, you know, we're the guys who create institutions that are changing the world, and we've changed a lot of industries so far here in Silicon Valley, but uh, we haven't been able to change the government. That's that's a pretty hard one. And then we have uh, we have Patrick Friedman, uh, our co-founder. You know, his grandfather was Milton Friedman, one of the greatest economists of the 20th century, and you know, he wrote a book about this. He had some great ideas, and he wanted to put them into practice, and so he so, came and met uh, us. We're right. the guys who make things happen. So you know, I mean, it, it would have so much more credibility if it was like I don't know. Kansas behind you, but it's San Francisco. What kind of crazy, uh, you know, community oh, is this going to be? No, it's I mean, like, is well, it going to be it's, bigger? It's, government? It's, like, it's like you. It's like you said. It's a frontier, you know. And I think California you is know? the frontier of the nation. If you're going to have you know? one, but there, we ran out of room, so we have right. to, you know, keep going here. But the, so this is a smaller government kind of idea, right? Well, you know, a lot of us, a you lot know? of us are libertarians, um, but we, but uh, the idea is much bigger than any one political system. The, it's it's really an idea about how government should function. Well, oh, the, 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 yeah. out. I mean, before I you know before I get in my boat and sail out to sea, give me some idea what kind of government are we talking about? Well, I mean, there's 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 there's, there's going to be a lot of them that people start. I mean, we'll probably start ones that are a lot more libertarian at first. But the 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 real thing the real thing we're going for here is you know the founders of America created a bunch of checks on power. Yeah. And the most important check. The most important check, what I think, was the federalist system, where if you didn't like something, you leave and you go try it out. And the, you know, the central government's supposed to be really small. Yeah. And you have all sorts of options, and 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 that way, you know, you see what works, you see what doesn't work. Um, that's gone right now, and so a little uncomfortable. If you want to make America a little uncomfortable saying this with San Francisco right behind you, but I'm in love with what you're saying. I'm in love with you. I really am. Let me ask uh, you this: we're not, we're, Who, we're, yeah, <laughs> what do you mean? I just love the libertarian idea. Who's protecting these? I mean, you don't fly an American flag over there. The Navy's not going to help you if something happens. We're having a problem now in the Gulf that's, with, that's with pirates. A- that's a, that's a, that's a good question. I mean, you, the you know the the thing is, you already do have millions of people living on the high seas on what cruise ships, question. and they that's tend to do pretty question. well. You know, the oil ships too. So there's, there's are, there already are, there already are some examples of why it's safe. So it's, it's, I think it's pretty unlikely these get attacked relative to other things. You know, we probably don't want to start it off the coast of Africa. Right. Well, would the but, uh, would the ROTC would it, would they be allowed to recruit at your schools if you had any? any? <laughs> Just wondering. We had a big, we did have a big fight about that <laughs> in right. our, our schools out Joe, there. Unfortunately, we lost. Oh, Thanks a lot. Man. We were I just talking it. about the. Whole- Oh yeah! Oh so- my God! Are you sold yet? Because if if these guys can't figure it out, allegedly we have no chance. From what I understand, this is the logic I'm following. Um, yeah. this is a matter of them wanting to build something without actually building it themselves. What? They want to pay for it, and they want to you know they want to be the they want to be in charge and they want to own it and they want a big league, but they don't actually want to build it. 
They don't want to figure out the problems. They don't want, they want to ignore all the inconveniences and just get away, man. And just pay for like whatever, like just make it happen. I don't care. I'll pay for it. That sounds like a retreat. Sounds like a fucking pussy move. It just, it sounds like some kids that just have too much money. And it reminds me of the biodome. It reminds me of, uh, the, the, the biodome cult in San Francisco that was made purely of engineers. And they were very smart people and they were, you know, they had a little money, but that wasn't the idea. The idea was that they built it, you know, they wanted to travel all over the world. So they literally built a a seafaring ship. They went around the world. They made investments here and there. They, they made farm homesteads. They, they farmed and they turned desert land profitable. And then, you know, they got to the point where they were able to build this one and a half billion dollar biodome to commit, you know, this human experiment they want to be a part of, which collapsed miserably, but they did it anyway. And it was built, it was built by people who actually knew what they were doing and put in the labor and put in the, had the actual trade skill and the actual determination and the, the coordination and organization to make it happen. These guys don't have any of that. They have money. Fire festival. Great fucking, great fucking example to bring up servo fire festival. Yeah. We know what a concert should be. We know what a festival should be. We know that we want the lights and we want the best artists and we want people to party and have a good time, but we don't have any actual knowledge of how to efficiently facilitate this very complex product or project that we want to commit to. We actually can't do it. We can't build anything. We can't put nails in two by fours. We just are here to pay for it. Mm -hmm. And then when the money runs out, oh gosh, well then you have nothing. (laughs) And I may not know much about money, but I sure shit know how to build something. Yeah. You, You get, you know, it's a trade skill and it takes years it takes years to be able to get good at doing some of these things. And you're talking about building a fucking small city out in the ocean. Oh, I mean, it's, it's not just a city. It's multiple cities. It's, it's multiple startup societies. Yeah. There's no, no shortage to these clips. It's, and they just, it gets deeper and deeper. Let's hear from Mark Collins, who was a French Polynesian, uh, um, politician. Oh, I love that cult programming music. A question I get uh, quite often is, what is seasteading? And um, seasteading started out, I guess, in 2008. It's, uh, it's a movement. It started out as, uh, as a nonprofit. Uh, so it's called the Seasteading Institute, based in California. Nonprofit. But I think just a couple months ago, seasteading is actually a word that's recognized by the Oxford uh, Dictionary. And what it means is uh, living on platforms at on the open oceans and it, uh, with new forms of society. So the way I got uh, involved in seasteading is um, I was a government minister in French Polynesia, so a lot of people know my country by the name of Tahiti. And uh, when I left the government, uh, I was looking at interesting opportunities uh, for what we could do, uh, in, especially in terms of uh, sea level rise mitigation. It's, a, it's an issue that's quite um, front of mind. It's kind of uh, non-existent. Uh, well, you know, I, <laughs> what's up? I, I mean, I'm always down to like, I'm not, I'm not a climate change denier necessarily, but I do observe that the sea level hasn't risen uh, very much. Well, you know, it's a, it's, it is a grave concern. 
and um, <laughs> I had come across this uh, this institute, uh, read about them. They were very. Uh, there was a lot of media uh, focus on them back in 2008, 2010, 12. So basically, I reached out to to the institute and said um, my understanding was that they had built a huge network of specialists, of aquapreneurs, of uh, scientists, researchers, <laughs> investors. But what the movement was was missing was the support, strong support, uh, of a government uh, the, uh, that was willing to have a light hand on, on regulation and allow uh, such an ambitious project as, uh, as the first, the world's first um, sustainable, self-sustaining uh, floating island. So French Polynesia had the advantage when, when I reached out to, to Seasteading to have several things that um, the Institute was interested in. And one of the first questions they asked was about connectivity. So, you know, is your country connected to the Internet backbone? Uh, uh, connectivity is obviously crucial for big data that's going to be generated by the researchers, the scientists. So, Oh, big data. That's a big concern. Got to make sure that uh, their needs are met, you know, on this totally decentralized idea of being self-governing out there on the open waters. Minus, yeah. minus this gentle nudge from the government hands just to apply light regulation. It's almost like they're, they're, they might as well just ask for subsidies while they're at it. Oh, well, we're going to make our own independent sovereign nation in the ocean, but we could also use a loan from the government. This is where the decentralization completely falls apart and it becomes a pipe dream. You, you need all of the, <laughs> there's, there's an old Western that I'm thinking of right now where the, the town is destitute and the, the, the rich a uh, guy from New York comes to town and says, I'll buy up your town. You just have to give me 99% of all the ore that you mine. And they're like, well, why do we need you? And he goes, well, where do bricks and steel come from? Uh, yeah. The East? Yeah, that's right. We have the bricks. We have the steel. You need the infrastructure. You You need everything now. Not only do you need bricks and steel, but you need lithium. You, you need... <laughs> <laughs> you need manufacturing at a very advanced level. And the only way that they're going to be able to be truly self-sufficient is if they were able to replicate that and have their own in-house, fully independent industrial system where they can produce all of the things that they need to produce. And that's, uh, I don't know. Obviously you've never played the video game rafts. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I take I, I take three leaves, form net. Yeah, I chop down. I'm just going <laughs> to chop down twenty trees. Well, real quick, I'll be right back and craft a stove from it, so I can start cooking birds, so I can get more health. Oh, I'm just back from mining fifty ore, iron ore. <laughs> now we can finally craft that shark, stove. Shark, shark, shark. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you hit it on the head. I think that a lot for a lot of these guys, this is just a video game to them. It's a joke. Yeah, let's well, let's see if let's see if it gets any better. The objective of the pilot is to get all of these technologies tested on a smaller scale. It's small yet we should be able to support around 200 people. So our objective is 200 to 250 people living full time. There'd be about a third research and scientists, a third uh will be people who just love to live on seasteads and we've got a long list of people who want to come live on on a seastead. Another third, we believe, are going to be startups and entrepreneurs that are building um, 
uh, technologies money. around the ocean. Uh, so basically, all sort of blue tech. Uh, you've got underwater drones. Uh, you've got all, all of these uh, different types of, of uh, startups that that are linked to to the space. We also have the issue of uh, space. energy. Now, obviously, we we need internet on board uh, the, these platforms. We will have some um, low energy. Um, Lighting, low energy pumps, and we're going to be very careful with everything that goes on board uh, this, these structures. Um, but we feel fairly confident that there are enough um, ways for us to, to generate energy. So we're looking at primarily at floating solar panels. Um, oh. There's a company we're in discussion. Oh, shark, yeah, okay. shark, shark. Technology. Okay. Um, it's not just as simple <laughs> as putting uh, solar panels on the water. It's uh, you know it's the corrosion <laughs> resistance. It's Waves, no, you know how how you mitigate uh, for uh, waves. The action. ocean, I know. corrosive. Uh, the interesting part about solar panels on the water, as opposed to solar panels on land, um, the water actually cools the solar panels, the back of the solar panels, and it increases um, the yield. Cools by about the front 20%. of them too on a storm. So we've got some advantages to that. Oh, it's. I mean, shit. I mean, shit. We're talking about the fucking ocean here. We're talking about big swells. Assuming that they're trying to get out there, and especially in the fucking in the Pacific Ocean, dude, are you kidding me? Get get five miles out in the Pacific Ocean and see how smooth it is. I mean, give me a break. You're trying to put massive fields of solar panels out there, fucking, and you're floating solar panel meat trash island. Oh, baby, you know that's where they should go. Dude. Why why are they doing all this work? There's already a perfect place for them ready. Yeah, you can go be with the rest of the fucking garbage. Uh, I I'm I'm about through with this guy. I gotta wrap this one up. So we're doing calculations as to exactly what surface area we would need. We're going to be using some solar panels, of course, on some of our our roofs. But um, in addition to that, we're looking at uh, there's some pretty modern wave um, wave generation um, oh. techniques. So we're inside Ooh. the reef, but there are waves right outside of the reef. So these are units that actually are underwater, I think about 8 to 10, 12 feet underwater. So they, they won't disrupt uh, normal commercial uh, you know, boats uh, going oh, out yeah. there, uh, leisure or, or commercial. Uh, there's not, these are underwater and they just basically... Has this guy ever leaves. been in a boat? Fairly <sighs> complex and they all... They- uh, he, he, um, he does go on about just why the, the French Polynesian people, because they are quote-unquote island hoppers... Um, they excel at this sort of lifestyle, and they are perfect for this trial. Um, well, you know who doesn't excel at seafaring missions? 99% of people? the world. <laughs> especially some fucking tech bro somewhere. <laughs> Just because they participate in some sailboating doesn't mean they're up to the task here. You know, we've had um, Alex. She's spent a good chunk of the past two years on the water you know coffee maybe? no 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 um lady alex is the handle uh eternal dyson was the episode um a friend coworker alex joined us uh, just kind of have a laid back i think we ended up talking hunger games some, some oh COVID stuff. of course of course I, yes yes i yeah. remember now uh but she's spent a uh, good fucking chunk of the past two years on the water i'd i'd love to hear the stories after she's uh went out and about uh, her and her husband 
I think the more time you spend on the water, especially in the ocean, you come to realize that the ocean is not tameable. Yeah. If it were, we would have done it a long time ago. But do you hear the reoccurring meme here? If we conquer the ocean, then that means at like fucking space is there. We we've basically got it. Because <laughs> space is an ocean. Oh yeah. Um. Well, this one's almost done. Just taking that wave energy is a little bit less, but there's still quite a bit of wave energy, and that will create um, addition to just the solar. So on our pilot project. Um, we we have an idea of what we're doing for power, but ultimately the objective of these platforms is to go to the open sea. The research has been done. Now I think it's a matter of funding and of focusing all of this on one major project, and that's our objective. Is First, let's do this, this pilot. Let's prove that these technologies work together. Let's prove that people can uh, live uh, in on these platforms in a, in a new social way. That's going to be a new world order. <laughs> Oh, my God. I can't help but think this is exactly what they thought of the United States when they found it. Or, I'm sorry, North America. Just the same sort of sentiment of like, oh, yeah. It's just waiting. It's just out there waiting for us. And and that was regular old land. And how hard was that shit to tame? I mean, it took them hundreds of years to to get people across and to actually have it so that it wasn't just a backwater frontier. And about uh, half that time to fuck it all up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, God, you know, you want to know who the uh, the modern day wise sages are? Nobody. It's the people that give TED talks lavish. Oh. Yeah, oh, yeah, yes, yes. Here's one of the founders of the Seaside, or C, C, Sally Sells C bullshit fucking island. Yeah, nonsense. she sure did. God. Uh, this is the, one of the founders of the Seasteading Institute, uh, Patrie Friedman. Ooh, lasers. Oh, God, humans, I hate this guy already. I hate this fucking guy already. <laughs> Why in the fuck do you do this to me? Okay, start it over. I'm ready. Lasers. Not only humans, but human societies evolved, as we can learn from today's greatest sages, TED speakers. Robert Wright says that our societies constantly evolve towards more and more complex ways of helping each other. This guy definitely belongs in the ocean. Paul says that rules evolve too but it's very hard to change them in place. So we need new places to try new rules. After all, society has DNA too. Our written constitutions and laws are coded blueprints like DNA that change over time, though not always for the best. And, you know, there's parts of that that I don't disagree with by any means. I'm, I'm there with him that society has you know, what, what is culture, but fucking your neighbor's DNA that you share. Um, I, I, I appreciate that, uh, sentiment. Yeah. Society has a DNA. Sure. Okay. Why not? Um, let's, uh, <laughs> let's continue. So let's take a look. Let's take stock of our societal environment oh, today. God. We have incredible potential as new technologies open up new possibilities. We could have open source societies 
drawn from a Wikipedia of rules and social structures. We could organize society as a direct democracy using social networks. Or we could choose to subscribe to a shiny, integrated citizen experience that we renew annually. Oh, cool. <laughs> But our societal environment blocks this potential. Let's consider the evolution of today's dominant species of society that we live in, representative democracy. That evolution took a bloody revolution and an open frontier where the new society could grow up far away from its parents who were not so supportive. But we've run out of frontier. All land is claimed. And our revolutions have become increasingly superficial. We're changing individual leaders. We're no longer creating new societies. From a social sense, it's like we're back in the age of the dinosaurs. The world is full of these big, blundering country creatures. And there's no space, there's no place for new evolutionary leaps to better ways for us to live together. I just need so much more convincing that this guy will ever know the taste of revolution. <laughs> I'll tell you what, when the tough, wait, when the going gets tough, yes, this guy is going to get going. I'll tell you. When the going gets tough, you go out there to the oceans and you build giant floating cities that basically dock together like they're fucking. Uh, this is my last clip from uh, pa Patrick. Patri. The objective of the pilot is... Uh, wait. His name is Patri? Yes. His name is Patri? Patri, Patri, P-A-T-R-I. Patri, Patri? Patri. Oh. All right. Uh, basically. I don't trust 18th century societal DNA to handle the problems of the 21st century. But what can we do? Well, let's learn from this journey and return to where we began the oceans. Join me for a moment in a thought experiment. Suppose that we could build here as cheaply as building here in San Francisco. Not that cheap, but doable. Cheaply. Cheaply. What would that enable? What in the fuck? What in the fuck is this guy on? <laughs> <clears throat> Sorry. Sorry. I lost. Uh, uh, please continue. We open the frontier so that pioneers with new notions for new nations could peacefully put them into practice. We could have evolution without revolution. Oh. But there's more. We've talked oh. about the nature of the ocean today. It's, it's a unique place. It's a dynamic medium that mixes things, that allows movement, and that makes it perfect for societal evolution. Large ships are literally as big as skyscrapers, yet they What's move all, tongue the, all the time with ease. <laughs> which means... Hey, you baby. hear that like crushing little like noise that his tongue makes when he talks? Yo, but what that patchy mouth do? Dude, I'm sorry. I mean, I'm trying to listen to this guy, but oh boy, this is. <laughs> I'll take it back. <sighs> Large ships are literally as big as skyscrapers. Literally, yet they move all the all the time with ease. Which means that ocean cities then go can live on a cargo modular. ship, bitch. They can constantly evolve by trading buildings by splitting and by combining in a way that's impossible on land. Basically, by having sex. That's how long the pause was. What? 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 
I will fuck your mouth. You come for me. Oh, God. <laughs> Are we sure that this isn't uh, funded by Legos or something? Is it real? No, it's just a big fat joke. Hmm. How old is this guy? 15? Now, 16? This, this video is older. Uh, this was t- about 11 years ago, I want to say. 10 years ago. TED Talks. TEDx Talks. Okay, so this guy today, he's what, like 25? <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> Sounds about right. <laughs> <sighs> okay. Goodness. Okay. It's I uh I sent you a uh, a clip in the back channels uh just a little something to remind me this guy this guy's voice reminded me of this clip. All right. Hey dude, what's that thing? Carmen, I need to talk to you. Hello, I'm Kyle's cousin Kyle. <laughs> Carmen, I'm going to make you a deal. What? That kid over there is my cousin from the East Coast. He's having a really hard time right now, so I'm going to offer you $40 to not rip on him. 40 bucks? But you can't make fun of him at all. No smart-ass comments, nothing. All right, all right. And you especially can't say anything about Jews. Oh, Jesus, why'd you just cut off my bars? Cartman, no Jew jokes. All you have to do is keep your mouth shut, and you've got 40 bucks. Can you do it? I can't believe how cold it is out here. It's going to be tough, but I'll give it a shot. All right. It's wow. That's the problem. It's the code that makes me wheeze. Kyle, this is Cartman. He's my sort of friend-ish. Oh, nice to meet you, Cartman. You, you know, I saw that same jacket you're wearing at Bosco's for twenty nine ninety five. How much was yours? I'm, I'm just wondering if Bosco's is a ripple. <laughs> oh, man. Cartman? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can certainly tell you're a relative of my good friend Kyle here. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know you all- <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> fuck i'm yes i'm i'm very i i will say this is the videos so far these are the first four videos that i pulled right from the blue tube about seasteading and this next one is by far the most bizarre um because it just where have we heard this one before? Hello, everybody. Uh, thank you, Natalie, for your colleague at Blue Frontiers, who knows that the safest place to be in a pandemic is a seastead. Did you know oh, that? No. Did you oh, know that? God. I knew. Oh, th- they say that all the time. Oh, you know what you're going to have to do to get into this guy's seastead? <laughs> oh, do I want to know? So if any of you pestilential land people arrive at my seastead (laughs) in Panama, you have to park your boat on my floating dock. I am removing my gurney bridge. And before you can get on my seastead, you have to dive into the tropical salt water and swim 20 feet. And I'll spray you off and then you can enter. After every place This is a fucking burning man ritual? Dude. And the most famous renaissance started in Venice. Venice didn't happen on land. People had to exit and found a society in a marsh where the bad governance of Europe couldn't reach them. There were no kings in the marsh. Venice would cure the world of feudalism and seasteads will cure the world of statism. Whoa. Well, when you put it like that, I... I will admit I am unfamiliar with the history of 
uh, Venice in that regards. Oh, you don't know about the Venetian uh, innovations during the Renaissance? I can explain it to you in a way that this guy just explained it. Uh, this is Chewbacca. Uh, he's a, he's a Wookiee, <laughs> but he lives on Andor. That does not make sense. <laughs> Therefore, Venice is uh, seasteading. I mean, uh, is that? Uh, oh my God! What the fuck is his name? I'm, I'm sorry. I'm pulling out all kinds of South Park references know, right now. It's not good. It's da not Vinci. good. Da Vinci. Oh yeah, Da Vinci. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, Michelangelo. Whatever. I guess I I I'm still kind of lost in how that put an end to feudalism. Um. Yeah, you know the people that uh, perpetuated the Renaissance. You know the Medici's. And all of that, they didn't really get rid of feudalism, did they? They were the royal families of the time. I'm pretty sure the Medici's went on to be the royal family of France not too long after. Mm. I, I'm not. I'm not sure if I'm really reading his parallels here because uh, I understand what he's trying to. He's trying to talk about merchant republics, and our merchant republic is a very specific form of government that existed in Venice at that time, but. It's a system of government that it doesn't exist without a, a big benefactor, a, a colossal benefactor. Uh, I guess the modern parallel I would put it to is maybe Singapore. Uh, Singapore is run by what I would call a benign dictatorship. And they have like an absolute authoritarian figure in Singapore, but but he's a cool guy. I guess by dictator standards. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> really cool guy. Really cool, bro. Guess I'll go ahead and mark that down as a win in my book. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> of course, you know, if you go to Singapore and you spit in the street, they'll cane you and throw you in jail. Signed could be worse, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's pretty cool though. Other than that stuff, it's pretty cool. <laughs> Economically great, you know, great jobs, but it takes, it takes a benefactor. I mean, America is kind of the same way. Where, where does the money flow from? And with these tech guys trying to build this, this seasteading situation, it doesn't exist without the tech industry, without Silicon Valley and Google and by proxy, you know, the intelligence agencies that, that, that make them, you know, we're going to be real about it. Twitter and Facebook wouldn't be anything without the clandestine operations of our federal government. Yeah. <laughs> Let's be real. So everything takes a benefactor. Yeah. That little healthy, the money's got to come from somewhere. Healthy injection of that VC. Uh, yeah. Actually, uh, Patriot gets into it, how it was uh, started off with venture capital. Um, and we'll hear, uh, this is Joe Quirk that we're listening to right now. Um, this next clip talks about a particular type of oasis that, uh, I mean, just, from hearing from the plethora of gentlemen, it sounds positively dreamy. If we could just negotiate for a department inside the Hewlett Packard building, amazing apps will happen. I still just, I still don't understand the, the appealing to authority, the appealing to, well, if I can get the big guys to help me out, I, I can finally like get the leg up in my endeavor. Finally. He's bringing in the arms guys, Hewlett Packard. Come on. Well, he, he he's going to go to Steve Wozniak um, in relation uh, to Wozniak tried to sell him on the uh, Apple prototype. They went and buy it, presented it three, four times, whatever, quit, 
went and produced it, fucking, you know, the rest of the story, because that's what seasteading is, is revolutionizing is a startup pers- is the, it, it is the new personal computer. <laughs> this is the Motorola cell phone in 1984. Yeah. Okay. And, and Steve Wozniak worked at Hewlett Packard, but he didn't change Hewlett Packard from inside Hewlett Packard. Once they rejected his design for the personal computer five times, mm, he left and so found his Apple. So forget the personal computer. What about the personal government? <laughs> this is the C-Pod being developed right now by the company Ocean Builders. And land zones require investors, but C-Pods require no investors. They're cheap enough that you can go straight to customers. Ocean Builders is committed to making no profit and even running at a loss until they sell at least 20. So if we can flag this thing, we don't need to convince the majority. We just need to convince one customer and then two. Now imagine if each of these had a different flag. Panama, the Cayman Islands. I don't want a startup society. I want thousands of startup societies. We want a swarm of discovery machines. I call them Hayek Islands. At first, they'll be an oasis for libertarians, but quickly they'll become a discovery process, finding solutions that even your favorite libertarian theorists can't imagine. Nicholas Nassim Taleb popularized the black swan, but Tom W. Bell talks about the golden swan, the solutions nobody predicted, but evolution discovers through trial and error. Are you excited yet? Oh, very excited. Are you, are oh, you, thrilled. You, this is, if, again, they, they, <laughs> they, these people tried to set this up outside of Thailand, and uh, it was dismantled systematically by the Thai Navy for threatening their sovereignty. They chased down the couple that was really spearheading it. And because these people can't figure it out, we have no chance. They're going to come for us. They're coming to our doors, you know. Come to my fucking door. Let's go. Um, God. I see the, I see the majesty of the idea. It's just a price point situation. It's a matter of they're never going to be able to do this cheaply. And there's always going to be a very small percentage of the population that's even in a position to participate in this. Yeah. And then of that small percentage, then you have to get a percentage of that to be enthusiastic about it and dedicate their life to it and all of their resources. Yeah. But can we get a Dave and Busters out there in one of these? And I think that would be that that's more likely just build one thing. How can, how can you expect me to get my grandmother into this? You know what they need to build on the ocean? What's that? (laughs) A bunny ranch, a bunny ranch. You know what I'm saying? You know what I mean? I'm I'm talking. If you really want to get people out onto that water, you got to give them what they want. And, uh, we all know what, (laughs) <laughs> what milkshake brings the boys to the yard? <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. We could just call it clams. 
Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, where are we? This is, oh, well, yeah. I mean, basically they're already, they're already coming. Steading is your libertarian solution for environmentalism. So next time somebody asks you if your startup society is sustainable, you can say sustainability, man, that is so 2019. We've already moved on to environmental regeneration with Blue 21 and Ventive Float House. Join us. This is how we win. People choose cruise ships without changing their ideology. Your grandparents who think you're a little bit eccentric with your startup society's ideas, they choose to vacation in private governance at sea. And ecotourists will stay on a CB&B, as Titus Gable calls it. As of 2019, we have the marine technology. In 2020, we need the legal technology, which is a seasteading flag. The Seasteading Institute is partnering with Tom W. Bell's company, Archimediate, and we plan to run a seasteading flag flag registry on the same model as uh, Mongolia or Liberia, where they contract out services to a private company. And here's how you can help. Tom W. Bell and I need introductions to important people in flag registries around the world. (laughs) In my opinion. Doesn't sound very decentralized to me. I I guess I've lost the definition of decentralization along the way somehow. In order to separate from everybody, we need you. I need, I need, I need to appeal to authority. You, we require the assistance of authority so that we can get away from authority. Yeah. Right. Seastead flag is the holy grail for startup societies. A floating startup society is no threat to local people. You won't get nimbyism. They're taking our land. No, if you build it, they will come. They're already coming and it's not even built yet. Damn straight. Oh, Bad yeah. Are on monopoly control of land. This is the technology to decentralize the ground beneath our feet. The technology for voluntary societies. The technology for variation and selection among societies. A research and development zone for better governance. The machinery of freedom to choose. Technology beats philosophy every time. Stop arguing. Start building seasteads. How do you feel about that? Do you feel technology beats philosophy every time? I think the fact that these guys think that it's easier to go out into the middle of the fucking ocean and build something that they know in their hearts is impossible to build is easier than just fighting against local legislation and being able to build on plenty of land that's out there already is very telling. It's very telling of their philosophy. They they know that they can't fight the government, but they know they can't build out in the ocean, but they know more that they can't fight the government. And so now they're going to go figure out the hard way that they can't do this other thing. And it's just such a fucking pigeonhole. So many, I mean, America's built on people going out into the woods and building it themselves. That's what this whole fucking country is about. 
And we were doing it all the way up until the eighties. <laughs> and then uh, Ruby Ridge happened. And then, you know, it, you're not allowed to do that anymore. Ruby Ridge, NAFTA, all sorts of fun stuff. That, uh, the Indian cult in Oregon. Oh yeah. Wild, wild, wild country or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. People love to go. I mean, Oregon is built on that whole thing. Oregon, the state of Oregon is built on white racists going, you know what? You guys aren't racist enough. We're going to make our own town and state and it's going to be racist and not have sales tax. And fuck you. Uh, you know what? Dow Jin's absolutely right. I'm going to pull out my mason jar of whiskey here and take another. Oh, let's take one for Randy. Yeah. Let's take a nice big old swig of American whiskey for Randy. Oh, you got Irish whiskey. I've got yeah. the American stuff. Oh, yeah. Pour one out for Ruby. Ruby Ridge. <sighs> Toast. Pitch. Bros. Beautiful. Yeah. Come to my fucking door. What am I right? I mean, when I was driving around this great country, and we have a lot of people in the chat who drive around. I know DeHoujen drives a lot. There's a lot of open land in the United States. Dude, imagine all the land that you could see just traveling by uh, transport cars, railway style. Just along the railway. I mean, shit, half my trip was just along the railway, and there's still open land. And that's along what is considered the civilized part, you know, and then drive a couple dozen miles out and you're really out in the middle of nowhere. These people really think it's easier to go build fucking, uh, uh biodome out in the middle of the ocean than it is to just go to the middle of fucking Kansas and, and build a house. I got two words for him. West Virginia. Oh, mountain mama. Take me home. I got one word for you. Mexico. Oh yeah. There you go. I mean, according to people we've talked to, Charlie Robinson, among others, you can just go out into Mexico and build a fucking house wherever you want. There's no regulations. There's nobody going to stop you. You can build it. Then you can come all you want. (laughs) And I am coming. Uh, It smelled like goat meat. Let's see. Ah, I've been excited for this one. Um, Are you sitting down? Yes. Because this motherfucker is getting ready to name drop Satoshi. Oh, People no. ask if stories are based on reality. Man, reality is based on stories. Damn straight. Eight years ago, when I learned about the approaching technical feasibility of seasteading, I decided it was the most important thing to be done. So I set out to tell the stories to bring a thousand times more brains to this and make it happen by 2020. It's happening. Why support nonprofits? <laughs> well, why do you think this is happening? Is it because a bunch of entrepreneurs and investors got together on their own and figured out how a, like a, a for-profit way to do this? They didn't even know about each other until they heard the story. The story is what inspired architect Bart Rofen from Blue 21 to make this picture for free. The story is what attracted French Polynesia land of startup societies on islands to reach out to the Seasteading Institute. And the story is what inspired Satoshi. <laughs> this is the German aerospace engineer who started seasteading in the Andaman Sea off Thailand. And I'll let you in on a little secret nobody knows. 
Ocean Builders is financed and the single family seastead is engineered by Rudiger Koch, who wants to build a launch loop to go into space. I'm sorry. Who? I'm pretty sure he just said uh, Koch. Uh, there are three Koch brothers, and whoever he just said isn't one of them. Rudiger? Rudger? Koch? Yeah. No, uh, Rud, Rud, Rudger Koch? Let's see. Let's see the, the Koch brothers real quick. Uh, let's remember this. David, Bill, and Frederick. Hmm. I would have to go back and see if maybe I can figure it out via the, uh, subtitles. David, Frederick, Bill, and Charles. Oh, Frederick Koch was their dad. Sorry. The the Koch brothers are David, Bill, and Charles. Charles, I think, is the cool one. One of them the two of them are dicks, and then one of them's cool. Oh, here we go. All Soros got it. Let me finish this clip off. Who go wants to build a launch loop to go into space? And he needs a large swath of the ocean to do it and a large swath of freedom to do it in. He needs Tom W. Bell's C-Zone, or he needs Tom W. Bell's seasteading flag. So, yeah, there's a lot of space push in this. Yeah, we're definitely tying that a lot. Um, This is Whoa, just... Oh, my God. What? Look at this. I found his Instagram, Rudger Coke. Oh, he seems to be hanging out a lot with, I don't know if that's his daughter or his wife. Maybe both. <laughs> I think it's, his, I think it's both. Seems to be with her a lot. He seems to have kids with her. Uh, I got a gram. I just posted in the chat here. Oh man. No, don't want to sign in. Give a sign in. <laughs> The sea uh, uh, translation, uh, proud as ever, debut ball and Templin dance. Yeah, I don't know. I think that's his wife, but she's young. Here's a. This is just a short little banger. Libertarians have infiltrated the Panamanian government. <laughs> and you talk about set one of these uh, set one of these seasets up and how he was at a, a dinner and there was a, a politician staffer that just. Happened to see him sitting there at this restaurant eating, and um, the 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 staffer approached him and said, "Oh, you you know, we're big fans of this particular guy that we're listening to, joke work." And um, it's like, "Oh, you know, we discussed your your uh, your lectures uh, at length. You know, we we value what you have to put out." And um, yeah, he just goes on talking about like how libertarian money is what made. Panama, the, the the city that it is now, like Panama knows where it got its money from, and it's from the libertarians. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Nobody's been spit roasted by global powers more than fucking Panama, dude. Yeah. Um, uh, I, although I will say though, since we're talking about the Cokes, and obviously this regular Coke isn't a Coke brother, but I will say that the Coke brothers are the the grand poobas of libertarianism in in the United States. It's yeah, I'm, I should have done a little more due diligence. Uh, I did catch the name earlier when I was making the clips. I did not. It's no, it's no, uh, this guy I think is German or Dutch. Uh, 
Stolz wie Heidenje, der Hutenballen, der Schlabendanzer. Yeah, this guy's definitely German. So, uh, Saul Goodman. Um, wow. If only there was a, a, a production company that we could sell this amazing story to produce a docuseries out of it, who would you do? Would you do Hulu? Netflix? Maybe even Amazon? So who else gets inspired by this story? Right now, the people who made Blue Planet with Sir David Attenborough are pitching the seasteading reality TV show to Amazon. I don't know if Amazon will say yes, but I convinced the producers to host it in Panama with Ocean Builders technology and to invite Blue 21, Venta Float House, all the seasteading companies. We helped them with the casting call, and they're proposing a budget of many tens of millions in consultation with the Seasteading Institute, which they proudly feature on their pitch to Amazon. They're planning the city according to our vision, mobile pods, each featuring one of the six great moral imperatives of the book, bottom-up governance. Top-notch team on the project. Very serious about this. I really don't know if Amazon's going to say yes. It's on their desk. They claim sometimes Jeff Bezos sees the pictures. Uh, And I don't know if I secured or sabotaged the deal here, but, you know, I do what I can with a nonprofit budget. And when I approached Jeff Bezos in this getup, he looked at me like I was crazy, and his bodyguards got ready to tackle me. And I should say that this guy is kind of wearing Patriot gear. So he's got the tricorn hat. He's got the lottery jacket, kind of the dress version of it uh, with the the pewter buttons going all the way up. Or maybe it was gold. Um, Mm, And he's just like, there's there's Jeff Bezos. What's up, bro? How's it going? Did you get my pitch by chance? Like, Hefe. Dude. (laughs) Hit me back, bro. Hit me back. (laughs) Yo, what's good, my guy? It's me, Jeff. It's me. And when I said, I'm Joe the Seasteader, he said, oh, I heard about you Oh, Joe the Seasteader, I know you. Whatever you guys need out there. And we had a big laugh together, and his bodyguards (laughs) backed off, and we had a nice conversation. And his handler took the book home, and I assume Jeff hasn't read it because he hasn't called me saying, you're right, Quirk, Ocean's first, space second. I'm I'm there. Let's do this. But space is so much cooler, so much cooler than the ocean. The ocean's full of poo and garbage. Fish have sex in that. I have sex in that. I mean, it's filthy. <laughs> oh, are you a good boy? Or people have sex with me in it. It's not good. It's not good. So don't do it. I get fucked in it. <laughs> hey, if you really want to get your suck on, oh my you, god, you got to go to space, bro. It's 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 just it's wet everywhere. Yeah, dolphins uh will give you handy jays in the ocean. You, you don't want to do that. You want to go to space. Yeah, <laughs> you like space. <laughs> you know, you know what space doesn't have microplastics. Oh, not yet. Not yet. At Not least. yet. We're working on it, though. Elon's working on it with all of his fucking 
all of his fucking, uh, what's his, uh, satellite system, his low orbit satellite system called, uh, Starlink? Starlink. Starlink. Um, yeah, just, just to really reiterate, I have it as, uh, as an ISO. Oceans first, Mars next. Oh, that's Mars. Sorry. We're going to do, we're going to do the ocean, then space, then Mars. One just as profitable as the last of a venture. I can tell you that. And each step of the way will be decentralized. And yes, we're going to be on Mars, uh, doing whatever you fucking do from a, uh, parlor account. That's right. Me and my wife have been taking weekend visits to Sutter's Creek where we've been harvesting ore from the river where we're going to build our first spaceship. It's going to be totally decentralized. Can't wait. It's going to be awesome. <sighs> Where's Jack Parsons when you need him? Mm. <laughs> yeah. Well, this should be interesting to watch. Uh, this is going to be another thing that saps the resources of a dwindling, failing Silicon Valley. Uh, an industry that is in decline, but still has way too much money to know what to do with, given its years of success. I mean, I, I hear that Apple has something like $100 billion in cash. And with $100 billion, you can do a lot. But once you spend it, it's gone. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Ain't that easy to replenish. Yeah. And it's not these days. Well, then again, I hear that Apple makes a billion dollars every three weeks. But is it real? Is it fake? I mean, what what's funny money? What's not? What's stock evaluation? What's liquid? It's it's a massive undertaking, and it's going to take a very if you know Larry Ellison was to get involved or somebody like that. But even so, the truly rich people that can do this themselves, the Larry Ellisons, the Bill Gates, what do they do? They buy real land. You know, Larry Ellison goes down to Palm Springs and buys a, a patch of desert that costs nothing, and he builds one of the top tennis tournaments in the world overnight. Bill Gates goes all over the country and buys all this uh, farm, this farmland. And, and in so doing, he controls all the farm productivity of the country. I mean, this is what real rich people would rather spend their money doing because you're not just going to lose your ass on it. You're actually going to spend billions of dollars and then get a return, which is something that is very difficult. I mean, only a few people in humanity have the experience of going and, and approaching a project with that kind of confidence and with that kind of capital. We, we, I'm going to spend a billion dollars and I'm going to hope that I get this back. Well, you heard, you heard him discuss it with the C pods that, uh, they're going to produce some at a loss until they can get 20 of them sold. Uh, and then everything should be good from there. Cause then they'll have the floating solar panels. Um, I'm sure they'll have a huge, like heavy duty fiber cable ran out, uh, from a nearby coastline, probably no further than 12 miles. And uh, boats will come up that have skyscrapers attached to them, and they will dock in a very sexual fashion. And They'll literally fuck each other. This is what it looks like to beat the New World Order. A big ocean orgy. I I can't believe we didn't see it sooner. You know, if we had it on a small scale, or if you had like a, tra a, a transitory phase where 
We're not totally decentralized. We're just trying this out, but we're still going to get food and metal and internet from the mainland. Try that out. <sighs> Baby steps, people. Baby steps. Yeah, I wish I had saved the clip because that one could have been fun. But um, And I forget the, the gentleman's name, but he's discussing just all of the people that have to come together to to make one pencil, one fabricated pencil. You know, they have to get the trees mm-hmm. from uh, such and such and the erasers, you know, remind, or uh, grown from the rubber trees and so on and so forth. It's fun. Or manufactured in a lab by you know, a rubber manufacturer. Right. Yeah. This is fucking fried chicken. Anything. Think about how much fucking effort and how many different angles have to go into making something that you take for granted. So I just, I don't know, man. And then you're talking about a phone. You're talking about internet. You're talking about high technology. Come on. It just, this is something that I feel like maybe with a smaller scale, it would be more effective. And, and I just, I'm not, I'm not so convinced that uh, going out to sea and living in a pod is the life that I want to live. I think that's a good uh, intuition to have. Yeah. Something just, you know, and it's, uh, it's, it's because of one very specific thing. And I think this will, this will be my last clip for tonight. Cause up and down, there was only one thing that I was really, truly thinking about. And that was Andrew Ryan's speech from Bioshock. Or one of, of course. many. Uh, and, uh, of course. This is just him coming to realize what he had to build. What is the greatest lie ever created? What is the most vicious obscenity ever perpetrated on mankind? Slavery. The Holocaust. Dictatorship. No. It's the tool with which all that wickedness is built. Whenever anyone wants others to do their work, they call upon their altruism. Never mind your own needs, they say. Think of the needs of, of whoever. The state. How many catastrophes were launched with the words, think of yourself? It's the king and country crowd who light the torch of destruction. It is this great inversion, this ancient lie, which has chained humanity to an endless cycle of guilt and faith. My journey to rapture was my second exodus. In 1990, I fled a country that had been traded in despotism for insanity. Marxist revolution simply traded one line for another. Instead of one man, Tsar, owning the work of all the people, all the people own the work of all of the people. So, I came to America. A man could own his own work. Where a man could benefit from the brilliance of his own mind, the strength of his own muscles, the might of his own will.
I had thought I had left the parasites of Moscow behind me. I had thought I had left the Marxist altruists to their collective farms and their five-year plans. As the German fools threw themselves on Hitler's sword for the good of the Reich, Americans drank deeper and deeper of the Bolshevik poison, spoon-fed to them by Roosevelt and his new dealers. And so, I asked myself, in what country was there a place for men like me? Men who refused to say yes to the parasites and the doubters. Men who believed that work was sacred and property rights inviolate. And then, one day, the happy answer came to me, my friends. There was no country for people like me. And that was the moment I decided to build one. And it ended with a golf club. Congratulations! <laughs> uh, thank you for humoring, humoring me through all of that. Uh, that ended up being extra thick, but I just wanted to hammer the point home. Um, oh, Boobsy, you're always extra thick, baby. Oh, yeah, you know it. It, it reminds me so much of all the... Because you mentioned John Galt earlier. Somebody mentioned John Galt. And uh, and Randism, Ayn Rand. Oh, that was uh, Glenn Beck? Yeah. And it always draws back to that. That is that is the easiest uh, literary reference to go by when you're talking about these sorts of things. And it is a matter of... The the big argument between what we would call libertarianism and collectivism, uh, the power of doing things yourself, the individual, the the talent that is born from the earth versus the collective and the the uh, cumulative efforts of many, all under one guise and in one direction. To me, it always boils down to efficiency and 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 to competency. Both of them do. They both argue that men must be a certain form of competent in order to benefit their other fellow man. And with this randism, with this, we're going to go out and build our own city thing. It's a confidence in your own abilities and in your own ego and in knowing that you yourself can perpetuate and create this, this thing that you love, that you want to happen, that you know is right and good and true. And then with collectivism and communism and that sort of thing, you are putting your faith in a government and a body of individuals who you believe are that competent. And it all just has to come with competent. It all has to go with, we're able to do this. We're able to build this. We're able to make it happen. I think and, I can, let me, let me alley-oop on that. It's between I can build it. It's between they can build it or where I like to be. You and I can build it. We can build it. And those guys are dicks and they're not trying to build shit. They're just trying to fuck you. And I think you just, you need a fucking, there's, there's balance in there somewhere. Because you can't exist in this libertarian dreamland they're creating without a, a measure of collectivism. You have to have a group of talented, competent people that are under the sway of one ideology or, or of one purpose. 
And usually that purpose or that ideology is spearheaded by a person, by a human being that is a living embodiment of this cause. And so in that way, no matter what, you're always going to be in a sort of a despotism. And all of these power structures are just various flavors of despotism. And I think that if you don't acknowledge that, if you don't accept that as a part of the the game, then you're fooling yourself. And if somebody was going to make, in real life, if somebody was going to go out there and prove us all wrong and build a beautiful city out in the ocean, I guarantee you it would be the under the direction of one person or of a small group of people that would underneath them build a team of competent individuals that would create that. And then the, the trouble then would to be to maintain it and to continue to have that level of of efficiency. But but nothing gets accomplished without a leader. And in this case, the leader for C-setting specifically, it all sounds like hedge fund. It all sounds like venture capital. It sounds just out the gate. It goes to central banking. It's all tied <laughs> to central banking. And what's less decentral than central banking? <laughs> no doubt. We should, uh, oh my God, the ticker just clicked into five hours. We have got to get this show on the road. Yeah, we gotta get the fuck out of here. We're having way too much fun. I know. Um, it's a, it was a good night. Screen mails. Yeah. That extra, extra shot. Oh, and we got a, we got a really naughty text, I think, uh, through the, through the lines as well. Oh my goodness. And what an amazing t shirt. And what an amazing T-shirt! Yes, uh, we might have to post that into the chat. I was given word that this uh, this picture was coming through. Is there's okay? Uh, given that, I will get it saved. <laughs> you save that and post that. Uh, we yeah, we can post it to the chat. Let everybody know what's going on. Sweet! I love the T-shirt. It's so fucking wild. A gift from me. Uh, where did, where did I put the chat at? Um, well, thank you, Texter. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Texter. Oh, my goodness. Glorious. And, uh, was there no, no other text messages? Let's see what the callers got. Happy Moon Day. How we doing? Doing well. Guys, do anything fun over the weekend? Just uh, wow, partying. Those sound excited. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Woo. Did some stuff in a garden and was making a new area that never had garden there. So a lot of, not a lot, but manual labor and getting into weeds and and whatnot, and still gotta kind of prep the soil and whatever. But uh, yeah, so using those muscles that you don't normally use or whatever for using that little sickle. It's not a sickle, but some sort of sickle something or other in, in the hoe and whatnot. And, uh, yeah, so that was it. Those hoes. Uh, behind the schemes, behind the screams, which actually kind of got me thinking about, like, screaming, because, you know, it's, you know, the show. And uh, just kind of like more like those, those inward screams, kind of like almost like – you know something's got to change. I mean, heck, you've even, you're just sitting there and you're like, muscles are kind of screaming at you. You're like, hey, you got, you got to move around a little bit. You've been sitting here too long. You know, you can only sit in front of the computer so long um, without looking like those characters from Wally. But, uh, yeah, and just, just some 
<laughs> Latin stuff, you know, where just kind of things kind of hit and you go like, oh yeah, this, you know, this thing needs to change, you know, or this interaction with the person needs to change and, and improve sort of deal. And, uh, cause just things are kind of screaming and whether or not it's literally or just in this case, there's a conversation and, and whatnot, like, hey, we gotta, you know, improve this thing. So improve this area of life. And, uh, yeah, so. I guess it's just one of those, like, listen to those screams before there's, like, literal screaming um, sort of deal. So, like, you know, mm-hmm. things are quiet or whatever. You're in the shower. Maybe not actually listen to a podcast for 10 seconds or whatever. Just listen to those little those little screams. They're not really loud. They're just kind of, little mini screams. Not, they're going to be like, ah! <laughs> but all this stuff. And, uh, you know, see where we can improve. And, uh, you know, go for the walk before you're super sore. You know, go for the little walk so your body's not really, really screaming at you. So, all right. Well, Mr. Lavish and Booberry Mothman Sir. of the apocalyptic night terrors. <laughs> Feels guys, like it sometimes. That angry. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you might not feel like it, but it feels like you. So give a little... Dangerous as, comrade. Thank you, Christopher Battles. I have to say, that was clean. Clean. He gets it. The mic- the micro and the macro screen. Mm, he he find- does. He-, he finds balance in both. Find you one who does both. <laughs> Yo, but what that macro screen mouth do? Oh, <laughs> when you want to macro my micro, bro? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Christopher Battles, thank you for calling. As always, sir, it's always great to hear from you, sir. Hope you are well. Oh, and a good night to Clip Custodian, who's taking the night off. Yes, uh, thank you, everybody, for hanging out with us uh, so late tonight. One of them late-night productions. We are a late-night show, and, uh, you know, we tend to go late, so that's how it is. But that's how it is every Monday night, if you can find us. Every single Monday night, we are live. Yeah, 7.30 Pacific, 9.30 Central, 10.30 Eastern over at badradio.live. Uh, but we're not signing off quite yet because we got two more screen mails. We got two more screen mails. Nice. Yeah, interesting voice. There you go. Know, that's off. Easy you now. Hey, boy. No, don't do that, boy. Stop. Stop. Help! 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 R.I.P. caller. Uh, press F in the chats. F in the chat for caller. I there's I'm Justice going. for caller. Oh <laughs> 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 
it was good while it was, Collar. Thank you, Collar, for your call, Collar. R.I.P. and peace. F. F in the chat. <laughs> Collar was a good boy. I am a good boy. Last call. <laughs> Blue Bear, lavish, massive love. Uh, Blue Bear, I love this uh, Joe rant, which <laughs> you're uh, deservedly on. Um, and for what it's worth, there, there may be a bit of witch in Joe that you may need to turn your back on, but I think it's important to lay this point down. And um, I just want to say I respect the shit out of, like, all the heavy lifting and work you've been doing to self-host and decentralize and actually do the work, because it's real work, work, of unplugging. And another witch that uh, these fucking simpletons need to turn their backs on are, uh, is the witch of download numbers, just chasing fucking downloads and clicks. Yeah, that shit's fake and um, gay. Instead of you know, really evaluating value on a deeper level and a deeper meaning. Uh, also, just a little irritating that people want to have this fucking, uh, you know, black and white of, oh, you're either on YouTube and Twitch or you're fucking Ruby Ridge off 12 <laughs> miles off of the fucking Thailand coast, right? Uh, yep. it's illegal to collect your own rainwater. You know, it's, it's illegal to smoke weed everywhere in this country. Uh, yep. but there's a certain amount of suck my dick mm. that you can uh, also claim as a good American. So, suck my Goddamn dick. Goddamn know it. Deuces, caller. Thank you, caller. That's yes. fucking awesome. Hell yes, caller. Goddamn straight caller. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. And I will admit, I think there's a little bit of uh, just other cathartic bleed through that there just has to be some sort of venting, which is again, it, it is out of turn, but, um, you know, I think, uh, I think color is right. It, it, there is at points times when it's imperative that you turn your back on that motherfucking, witch, redirect your intentions even harder. Do that work. Motherfuckers. Yeah. No, no when It's right. And no when it's not right. There's a time to ignore the problem, and there's a time to not. Find that nuance. Find that intuition. Be your own fucking thing. If you can't go live on an ocean, well, then live in the ocean of your mind. Be free. Be well. You deserve it. Uh, we are live guys. every single fucking Monday night. That's right, every single fucking Monday night. You've been listening to Behind the Schemes, episode 148. It's really April 18th, 2023, midnight in my sewer, and I hope you've been enjoying it. Two o'clock in the morning rolls around, but we'll be back uh, next week. We have Joe and Jen of the Legit Bat Podcast joining us for a live episode. Indeed, and also we're somewhat in the talks with uh, Nick the Rat on coming on his show, so that may happen in the next two weeks or so. We may not, we got to confirm that, but... Uh, yeah, we'll have uh, Legit Bat, we'll have Nick the Rat, we'll get Big Fat, and we'll do that. Mm. <laughs> Couldn't put it better any myself. Uh, and until that time, it's been Booberry, Black Knight of the Mothman. And my name is Lavish. 
Thanks to everybody in the chat. Thanks to everybody in the green room. We'll see you next Monday. Adios. I just want to say I'm not afraid. You come for me. Come to my fucking door. Right. Here's the pulse. All right. I want to have fun. Bad goat meat. Anything that smells like goat is generally not a good product. It smelled like goat meat. Goat meat's delicious, by the way. Two spooks, one honey pot. You know, I've had bad goat meat. Yeah, well, no. I love you guys. But you! Put the money in the bag, bitch. I hope you do have a magical day! Find us at BehindTheSchemes.com with threes for ease. Or LoveIsLit.com. <laughs> I love you guys. Don't get me wrong. It's all about this. But for the first time in my life, I'm 18 and I can say, Fuck you!